Off the ball. Cristiano Ronaldo was offered to numerous clubs in the summer and no deal could have been done. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Well, a few minutes after that, are we good? That's good stuff, Colin. We're very welcome along to OTB AM. This is live, live, live. <laughs> Friday morning and uh, Colm's just extending, extending the uh, production meeting into the show but good morning to you wherever it is you're at Colm better go to you first how are you getting on? Adrian you what? Good. you understand that now? all over I Shane think, good morning Adrian and Colm I think that was just a show just to show that he's you know, to the audience that he's doing loads of work behind That's the right, scenes yeah, yeah, working yeah. really hard oh yeah I mean even he... just to fully lift the veil he was like standing up there oh we're live are we? we're live for, oh, for Emma yeah. to come in and say listen do you mind sitting down it's like I you know I'm so important to the whole operation here anyway the two of you are getting ready to hit the high road down Kilkenny later on for the radio awards yeah I know it's not a medium that we recognise in this platform but uh, <laughs> radio awards are on tonight and you're both going down to larger up yeah, yeah you're yeah. going down because your involvement in uh, OTB Live is my baby, the, the weekend show, sports show, the other weekend show, of course, Saturday and Sunday. So, um, yeah, and strong candidacy this year. You're going down because I don't know why I'm invited. I have no idea. Yeah. I just got an invite. I got an email there, and I was like, "Is this the right person?" Yeah. But I checked it, and it was. But uh, I'm just going down just to watch what could have been, because OTPM don't qualify for these awards, which is absolutely insane. Yeah, so digital as you are. Oh, know. but it's got all agree. I mean, if there were digital Imro's great. Like I'd be very excited, but I'm just there to watch. You know, it's not an invite for everybody, Shane. As you're aware, no, it's, it's obviously it's, it's a big exclusive. business and it's a small event. And um, yeah, I got invited. Yeah, well, why aren't you going? I just felt that like there was people more more uh, deserving of a change to be honest with you, than me. I didn't want to be going out and taking up a seat and like you know. What was your excuse? The, the other many years you did go was it? <laughs> but the year, the year I won the sports broadcaster the Sorry, year, you had to be there that, that year. That yeah, 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 yeah. That's important. 2013. Mm. Was, was it? 2013, yeah. Yeah, yeah, coming up with the 10 year anniversary. 10 year anniversary. Yeah. Uh, we, we should do something on that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It was a year of surprise winners. Claire won the, uh, won the hurling that year as well. So <laughs> yeah, the underdogs came through. Like, yeah, who was, who, was, the cor- who was the cork that you lost to? Huh? Who was the cork that lost to you in 2013? Oh, Joe Malloy. Oh, there was, there was, um, there was a series of. There was the usual, the usual people that get shortlisted for these things. Yeah, yeah. Was it your finest moment? Um, well, it beat the silver I'd picked up a couple of years previously. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good that you went from silver to gold. Oh, I'm just saying that, you know, I know what Shane's saying, but like, I was beaten in the final previously. So, well, yeah. There's no speech, though. Like, it's, you, you just, yeah, walk you up just get up, is it? Oh, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Jeez, it's a long enough evening without all that. But anyway, Shane, like you were saying, you're working tomorrow, so you're going to be taking nice and handy tonight. Yeah. So, fair play, that's, uh, that's great. Famous last words, but. Respect. That's what he said. That's what Shane said. This is the reason the production meeting ran over there to, towards the end, was saying, was that I'm going to take it handy tonight. And yeah. Like, no more going to take it handy. Like, if this is a film, the next scene will be you in the bar. Why? <laughs> yeah. This is my first exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Try the trend tonight. You should do one of those later on. Actually, yeah, yeah. yeah. For the, with everybody, for everybody you can meet. <laughs> for the Ian TikTok Dempsey. channel, Ian Dempsey. This is my first drink. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Pat Kenny. <laughs> we should do a Team OTV one and see who uh, who shames themselves the most. Perhaps um, I'd have candidates. Right. Who yeah. who can you get? Try and get somebody who's not employed by off the ball. I mean, I don't mind even if it's like a Bauer per- personality, somebody like that, high profile personality. Yeah. Not for off the ball. To do the here's my first drink, here's my last drink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that yeah. that fair enough? I think that's, a, that's a fair shout. You're right over Pat there. Kenny's going to be there. We've lost colour. Bigger cups than usual. It's quite nice. <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> Producer's mind in the corner over there. They, uh, yeah, we should do that. That would be good. That would be good actually. Uh, Shane, have you been to the Emeralds before? I've, I think I've been twice. So this is my this is my oh, third yeah. Emeralds. I think I think it, it's twice so far. Both both times in the Lyrith and in Kilkenny. Uh, it's always a good night's crack. Yeah. I've, I've actually this is my second time coming in the next day afterwards. 
and it's not the worst. Usually it's it's not too bad because I remember coming in once and myself and Nathan were both in and you know he had been there the night before so you kind of revel in each other's hangover. He'd both been as unprofessional as each other. Exactly, but yeah, tomorrow John Duggan's John Duggan's being ultra professional and he's yeah. not going tonight so you know it'll be just me just me and my lonely little uh, isolated mental state tomorrow with uh, with John so it'll be grand it'll be grand and um, before we start getting the uh, oh, listen it's a sports show what are, you, what are you on about um, which is inevitable at some point or another the uh, United match obviously last night we, yeah. we just to flag up we're going to be uh, we've busy show for you this morning and Ronan Gara is going to be joining us in about five or six minutes time um, and uh, we'll chat to him about loads of stuff because we haven't talked to him in three or four weeks so um, plenty of stuff to talk about with him and we'll uh, get to that at 20 to 8 this morning Martin Lipton is going to talk uh, Arsenal primarily off, off the back of last night and another comprehensive win and a win that you just start to expect from this Arsenal team now and we'll touch on Tottenham of course there as well sports pages three including reaction to uh, the confirmation that Scotland will be the hosts and the opposition for Ireland uh, next Tuesday in the uh, World Cup playoff at Hampden Park so we'll be talking to Kathleen about that a little bit later in the show uh, Shane is going to chat to Lee McKenzie off the back of her uh, new book uh, Formerly One book that is at uh, 10 to 9 this morning Alan Quinlan uh, after that will preview uh, the weekend's uh, URC action as well. Interesting stuff, particularly uh, the heat is on, obviously, for a couple of provinces particularly, and we let you know what's happening across the back pages um, in the middle of all of that as well. So plenty to come on that, but we do need to talk about the Man United game to kick things off. 3-2 win at Menia last night. Um, Harry Malassia was the uh, only thought I could have on the back. It was the opening goal. It was like a carbon copy uh. of what Maguire had done last weekend Sancho didn't cover himself in glory for the goal either but uh, yeah Malassia just, just kick it out of play or pass it mm. quickly um, get rid of it it was a laughing stock the first goal and half time at 1-0 down you're thinking this is I mean this is a team fourth in the Cypriot League uh, you know, these are world beaters and uh, you're seeing Neil Lennon on the touchline obviously delighted at half time I just the performance wasn't good but then for once and Daniel Harris made this point on Twitter last night the thing about Ten Hag is there are there are consequences now for your bad performances. You kind of didn't get that vibe under Solskjaer or Rangnick. He was sticking with the same kind of personnel. Mm. All of a sudden, Ten Hag drops people, brings them back in. Martial, Shaw and Rashford were brilliant off the bench. Mm. Um, and they were the difference. United probably wouldn't have won the game only for Rashford, especially in Martial, playing the way they did when they were sprung from the bench. Um, the uh, the Rashford goal was like just insane quality. And yeah, yeah. like they, he obviously has the ability to do that every now and then. United have the ability to do that every now and then in a way that makes you think, geez, if they could like tie that together, I know it's the greatest hypothetical of all time. If they could just play like that more, they'd be better. But they'd have it in them. Mm. It's too intermittent, isn't it? And I know yeah. Colm, you had some thoughts on Cristiano yeah, well, Ronaldo. The first, well, yeah, definitely Ronaldo at the end was ridiculous. But even the Rashford goal, the first one, Fernandez's ball over the top is great. But Rashford actually made a mess of it because he cut back in yeah. and the defender got a leg to it. So if the defender had a bit more more composure he would have retained possession the attack would have ended and it would have been a spurn chance by Rashford but his quality is such that if you literally give him a second chance he will finish it was great mm. it was a great finish and he needs that uh, Martial has been brilliant since he came back yeah. like there's two games now he's been excellent that finish was fantastic and we were talking in the group like at half time the three of us were saying geez we might have to go all in on United here tomorrow but I had a feeling that they'd come back but then no, like I was right, saying, right at I the was end saying. then when the the second goal like, I was like geez, this could end three all concerned, yeah. but what really got me was, the, was Cristiano Ronaldo Ronaldo at the end and the treatment of him by his teammates so was it his testimonial like this is it was insane like Rashford was through one and one and it was genuinely a better angle for him to try and finish for it for a hat-trick as well for a hat-trick and he squares it to Ronaldo because they're seemingly also desperate for Ronaldo to score so he'll be happy around the place and the pass was poor but Ronaldo stopped dead didn't slide like we're seeing 
Erling Haaland do for a lot of his goals at the moment and it must absolutely kill Ronaldo first of all that he didn't score and secondly that you have someone like Haaland who's coming around who's breaking all records no. and making even him seem human in his heyday at the moment um, and then like for the final goal for Rashford's second and United's third I mean that was 100% a shot by Ronaldo which went across the box and Rashford tapped in and you could see Ronaldo's body language it's like oh yeah, then he started when it went in and they went 3-1 up he was like oh. and he stood where he was perfectly still and Rashford had to go to him even though Rashford scored to be fair he, like, to be fair to Ronaldo he did make the interception further up the pitch that led to that Ronaldo played well he did um, make an interception I think in the lead into the, he set up uh, he obviously set that goal up he made a brilliant run yeah. for Rashford's first goal he obviously had that thing where he hits the post and then he's like the but there, if you if you were to watch football for the first time last, last night last night and hear all about Cristiano Ronaldo and then see him play, you'd be like, Jesus, he's a fairly flawed player. Like, because they gave him the ball at one stage, I think it was either Rashford or Martial. It was a crisp pass into the box on the left hand side of the box, and if he just took a touch and hit with his left, it was probably going to be a goal. But he tried to cut back in and was very easily dispossessed. There was another chance then when Rashford on the left flank brilliantly skinned the fullback. It was like his turn of pace is exceptional and a bit of composure stopped played the ball inside to Ronaldo who had it in the centre of the pitch about 35 yards out if he had looked up he would have seen an overlap on his right yeah. but he, went, he drove down the left now he caught in and took a shot with his right foot and it just went wide mm-hmm. but I mean that is exactly that encapsulates the exact problem with Ronaldo is that like I thought he played quite well at moments I thought he was very poor at other moments but the problem is the impact that he has on those around him particularly in the final third they just his presence is so strong that they feel like they have to alter their game to accommodate him. Mm. For the game where Ten Hag said, oh, I didn't want to bring on Ronaldo because it was just a like, you know, disrespect yeah. to his career, that he brought on Martial instead? Who did he bring yeah, on? Yeah, against City, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. What, like, I didn't hear anybody talking about what a disrespect it was to say that after no, the game to Martial. Martial yeah. is expendable by his reputation. Oh. We spent second half of last season alone to Sevilla. It's like, oh, it doesn't matter what we do to you just need yeah. excuses Ten Hag in order, like, to, for not bringing Ronaldo onto the pitch I, Ronaldo did look exasperated like the hands the hands in the air every time he missed a chance and he was yeah. like why aren't, why aren't these shots going in but he, he did play well though overall I thought he made a huge impact in the game like, but I thought he was very inconsistent with his play overall but th- there was another moment as well where Delo rounded the goalkeeper yeah. it, was actually quite, it was actually a very good play by Delo because he composed himself and passed it into him but it was it, I you know sure because it was Ronaldo in the middle. I got to pass this to yeah. him. Yeah, he him quite fast though. I thought. Maybe yeah, no, fast, and again he did well with his instincts. But I'm just saying, like we talk about the great Cristiano Ronaldo, but like we should talk about. I think to talk about some of his shortcomings. Like he's an amazing goal scorer, and never has a player changed more in the history of football from a tricky winger who yeah. had, who had all the skills in the world, but his final product was questioned to the exact opposite now. But I think a lot of his game, he's quite short on compared to his peers. And I think you could see that last night. But it's more for me the impact that he has on his fellow forwards. Mm. And that's actually the reason why I think Ten Hag is right to leave him out as much as possible mm. and yeah. move on. Well, look, we let you, uh, speaking of moving on, we let you two flog uh, yourselves about United a bit later uh, a bit later in the show because there's plenty of uh, self-respection to be uh, to be done there <laughs> at the last, what, next while. 20 to 8, Ronan Agarra, good morning to you. Adrian, how are you? Colin, how's it going? How are you Shane? getting on? Are you, in, uh, are you in at the training ground or where are you? I am, I am. Just did the school drop off. Um, An eventful spin. Up and um, <laughs> and here now, waiting for um, a cup of coffee, but I do my uh, off the ball first. <laughs> <laughs> I would suggest coffee first. Jesus, yeah, the ball, get the uh, coffee in first. <laughs> What's the um are you two weeks into the touchline ban? Yeah, yeah more maybe. More. Are you, can you hear me? I can, yeah, yeah, have you there. 
How are you coping with it? Is it? Is it? Um... Uh, yeah, it's it's frustrating, but it's it's uh, essentially all of my own doing, you know. So if you do the crime, you got to do the time. So uh, hopefully it'll resonate with me this time, and when I'm put in that situation the next time, I react better, react differently, or maybe I don't put myself in that position the next time. But uh, yeah, it's. Uh, incredibly difficult because you're not allowed to engage at half time. You know, half time is very, very important in 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 any sport, I would think. Uh, but um, it can be over appreciated too in the fact that uh, whether it's my message, an assistant coach's message, our message, that's the key point. You know, but it's just so much easier not having to pass a bit of paper or do a quick WhatsApp to. Uh, Shkin Ryan or one of my French colleagues to uh, mm. to pass the message but I was that player as well I think it's it's interesting we as coaches think that we can change an awful lot of things but once you've kind of started off in the battle at half time you'd want to be looking at maybe one key um, uh, change or reinforce what we have been doing Are you considering staying, staying in the stand then are you thinking like uh, because you always try and like one always tries to uh, convince themselves that they'll be better the next time yeah but it's, I suppose it's not the first or second time either we're, we're up over five or six times that this has happened so I have to get better at it you know but I think it's um, it's interesting for people that aren't too au fait with top 14 rugby there's a little bit of the banished door on the sideline about it and mm. if I'm seen to uh, be seen in the stand all the time maybe oh why isn't he more connected with his team but that's you being influenced and I suppose um, um, open to outside uh, opinion which is essentially a weakness really if you believe in your own plan but sometimes there are games where you just kind of may feel you can get something out of your players at pitch level however I feel that this is all done Monday to Friday and Saturday should be a case of implementing our plan. We've we've seen the the clips of Jose Mourinho sitting in the the Roma team bus when he's been suspended, kind of watching the matches outside the stadium on the on the on the television. Ronan, like, is there? Might seem like a ridiculous thing to say, but are there any advantages to to getting to watch your your, your team or your club from from a totally different vantage point? Um, but that's the kind of I suppose that's the big. Enigma. It isn't any really di- different in the fact that you're you're allowed attend the game. You're allowed in the ground. You're allowed on the pitch before the warm up. However, I'm not allowed. We'll say referee a warm up drill or engage in a warm up drill. So you have to remove yourself from that. But that's not a big issue, really. To be honest, you know, you can get one of your coaches to do that. That's whether it's me and they do a lot of the drills in game day anyway. So you're watching the game kind of three up from where you would normally be. You're outside the box, but you're not in the box. Uh, so there's a lot of uh, different rules, but I suppose the big one is uh, not being allowed in the change room at half time. So it's... At my stage, my career, it's pretty easy to for me to manage, but it's you know what I mean it's the exact same thing when you're giving feedback to players. It's not what you tell them; it's what they've heard. And when you're not there, uh, it's maybe creating uh, a void in their lives where if you behave better, 
that void wouldn't be there. So it's on you and I have to own that and get a little bit better at that. But um, I suppose in the bigger pictures of, of, of things, uh, we can get over this. As you said, um, you did get a chance to be on the pitch beforehand. There was a picture, a nice picture of yourself and Lauren Travers uh, shooting the breeze beforehand. We, the word Stuart Lancaster come up? No, no, I wouldn't. Do you know, I just think... Um, they were away to Toulouse the week previously. They got um, a, a, a drubbing down there, so I knew that they'd come here looking to get something, and they were, for an hour, the better team. So he'd feel aggrieved. Obviously, we chatted before the game. No, his sister had passed away, and I would have been very friendly with him because he would have been in the staff, and then the relationship went sour because there was... Uh, well, not sour with the relationship with the club would have gone sour because I was seen as the bad guy pinching their players. But from my point of view, 22 of their players were, were out of contract. Players want to talk. I wanted to talk. There was business to be done. So uh, it was more a case of putting that to one side and mm, I suppose emphasising the more important things in life that uh, his sister passed away and I hadn't seen him I wasn't at the funeral and it was important for me just to to, to say that to him and um, I had a good few years in Paris with him going through everything we won a bouclier so once you win something with someone the bond is there for life so that's there it's a little bit tarnished but that happens in top level sport but the respect remains the same yeah, and you're doing your best for your team, uh, you're doing your team as well, and something like that obviously puts everything into perspective. What from we haven't been talking to you since Stuart Lancaster was was appointed. What can he expect in terms of like, I mean, culture shock might be overstating it, but what what will be the main differences for him coming from the Irish system into that uh, into that French setup? Well, I haven't coached in Ireland, um, Adrian. So you know me from that point of view. I don't know because I don't know how to. A coaching week looks like from a club's point of view uh, it'll be it'll be different but the biggest thing would be the language you know I think you can talk about culture and environment but one of the basic necessities or requirements is the capacity to to communicate mm. and that's not a one-way street that's a two-way street so yeah when you're speaking to someone or a group you, you need to be able to understand them and they need to be understand you and sometimes you don't need actually french for that you just need sometimes communicate with your eyes sometimes it's non-verbal and sometimes you need to you need to speak so um you know that's that, that's very important in france and obviously uh they're very selective on on who they I suppose not let in, but you know I mean I understand that I'm an outsider in the top fourteen and the fact that I'm from from Ireland coaching there and they have an awful lot of of good coaches in France, but I'm taking up one of the top jobs. So with that comes um, a responsibility to produce for 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 La Rochelle, which uh, I think I'm doing okay or, or well at. So. Uh, from Stuart's point of view, um, he'd be going in there, but um, I, I mean, he's more experienced than I am in the coaching game, um, and he'll know exactly what he needs to do because essentially we speak rugby. You know, what I mean, we speak English, we speak French, uh, but we speak rugby. It's just about getting that message across. And there's a lot of good boys in, in racing. I think he's going to a very good club. I think he's going to an established club. I think 2013 when I joined, it's a very different racing 
10 years later than it is now um, and a, a, an incredibly good city so he'll have I think um, a great um, opportunity to experience a top European club but also uh, you know it's important he gets to see Paris as well Mm, yeah, it'll be a, it'll be a big adventure from over the next while. I was trying to think what the uh, Dublin equivalent of Anil Deray would be, Ronan, and I can't think. Like, is it a Sandy Mount or a Hoth or somewhere that might uh, might suit you nicely? <laughs> I, I yeah, <laughs> Doggy, you, Doggy, you've mentioned before. I let you talk about yeah, maybe Doggy or Hoth. I think <laughs> there's only mansions in those places. They're being the red normal houses. <laughs> Uh, we'd, I, we'd be getting, we'd be offending a lot of people with our, our suggestions unless we were accurate. So <laughs> I'll pass. <laughs> uh, obviously, the underlying question that has come up, and like it's not an equivalent role to the level that you're at, but uh, Leinster. Going into Leinster, yeah. Um, of course, it's a fantastic club. It's a, it's a, it's a brilliant. Set up, but you know, the reality is, Adrian, the way their club is set up and, and who I am, I think they have loads of alternatives to to look at. But you know, I mean, Leo's a, a competitor, Leo's a, a winner. The club uh, are interested in success. I'm a competitor, I think it's a good fit, but uh, as you say, where I am now, I would like to think is on a par um, with what Leinster do. That's certainly the way I see it. Maybe a lot of people in Ireland would disagree with me, but that's the vision I have for Stalho Chalet, that it's a, it's a European club that has competed uh, consistently in the last two years. Yes, we don't have history like anything like any of the Irish provinces, but um, you know, it's about looking forward and seeing what we can do over the next few years. And I think... Um, it probably suits my mindset better by driving this club on. Uh, I think it's an interesting one. Like I know your your blood runs red, Ronan, obviously, um, but it's it's a it's something that came up in football with Rafa Benitez kind of taking the the Everton job and in hindsight deciding it maybe wasn't a good thing with his, with his Liverpool links. Like hypothetically speaking, is it is it a is it an issue where where you see that in Irish provinces that that it might not be the easiest thing for for Munster people to to coach Leinster and, and even vice versa as well. Potentially, but I suppose I left in 2013. I'd be on the road 10 years, you know. And I, the difference between Benitez and I is I grew up in Cork. I know everything about him. I love Cork. Um, Benitez is, is a is a Spaniard that moved to Liverpool. And, and obviously, it's very different culturally for him. Uh, there would be uh, a huge attachment for monster from my playing days but I think as people uh, move along they see the world a little bit differently and that was my playing days now I'm a professional coach so uh, as you say you want to give yourself the best chance of winning or to give yourself the best chance of competing Uh, Leinster are are a great club Munster were a great club but they're not anymore they have work to do to get back where they want to be and that's of huge interest to me as well because it's a club I love. Uh, I can't say the same about Leinster. I don't love Leinster because I never played for them. I don't have anything to do uh, with Leinster. But um, I recognise also that they that they have great values and a very good environment. And uh, the reality is that I'm engaged here 
um, for for the foreseeable future. So, you know, the the issue of moving to a club in Ireland isn't on the radar. So you're saying there's a chance that, that <laughs> no, it isn't. But no, I just think for respect, I think people yeah. need to understand that you, that you move on. That your mindset as a player is very different yeah. to a 45 year old, and um, you know. But I think it's also important to to say that I'm from Cork. That's fair enough. The the one of the potential replacements. I'm sorry, it hasn't been really sort of mooted at all, other than wild speculation. Probably come from this studio as much as anywhere else. Like Johnny Sexton is obviously out of contract at the end of the year when the World Cup is over, and I know he's on the record as saying that coaching is not really going to be his thing. And maybe ultimately that's the only answer to this question. But it, from a from what you know of him, which is a fair bit, is he uh, somebody who would be naturally uh, suited to that direction? Yeah, I think most definitely. I know he has um, an eye on going into business. I think he's obviously doing that role with Arda Glass at the minute. Um, and that's a good coup of them to get someone like him. But Johnny has a great brain and he has a great way of looking at the game. I, I for certain, think he'll go coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, but Johnny be smart enough to understand that there's a few uh, cogs involved in getting the best out of himself as a coach to go in as the uh, you mean the the boss man in Leinster uh, wouldn't be uh, for me the right move at this stage but in terms of a, of a, of a backs coach um, um, he'd be absolutely brilliant and I think he's very suited to it I think he has great ideas in the game and so I hope the game doesn't lose him to be honest mm. Um but well, the appointment, um, they've appointed Andrew Goodman, who played for Leinster, who coached Tasman uh, as a head coach, who coached the Crusaders. Uh, this guy's a gem. Uh, he could be a very um, natural, um, what's the word, a natural successor mm. to Stuart Lancaster in that role with Leo's. Uh, strengths in terms of managing the bigger picture. Andrew Goodman uh, has experience of head coaching with Leinster. Is a brilliant. I'm oh, sorry, with Tasman um, had a huge role with the Crusaders and their success. And uh, they may already have have an eye on uh, who they want. And he's um, he's already in the building. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Like when you bring up Andrew Goodman, Ronan, like he, he had some lovely words to say about you. I think a couple of weeks ago as well, he was saying you had a, an amazing perspective on the game and kind of referencing your time with the, with the Crusaders as well. Uh, for you with Andrew, like I think it was Jordan Armour maybe speaking this week about the impact Andrew has had since he's come in at Leinster, and he said for for one thing that the player meetings and uh, coach meetings have been a little bit shorter and more matter of fact and to the point. Uh, but he also involves the players in the process as well, and um, when the style of play issue comes up, the players are very much involved. So that's obviously something that that Andrew brings to the table as well. Yeah, he is. He's. he's I think what I really like about him is is um, just his mood. Uh, whether it's six o'clock in the morning or he's after a long day, twenty to six, twelve hours later, you you always get the goods from Goody, you know. Excuse the pun, and and that's very important. I think in our business, as opposed to a guy, you get the impression he doesn't really want to engage with me on this conversation. He's keen to get out. He 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 loves it. He could, you know he could be doing skill sessions, joining in in the skill sessions, or else he could be the guy leading. A, a very technical discussion in terms of how to break down 
a back line from this set piece. So I think he has a lot of strings to his bow. And I think um, the key one, obviously, is, is dealing with people because that's essentially what we do. A lot of our time is, is obviously looking at strategy, but so much of our time and the most important um, bits of our time is how we develop relationship with our players. That's absolutely crucial. And he's very, very good at that. Uh, that is quite the recommendation. Just before we let you away, Johnny, uh, Joy Carberry, uh, Freudian slip there, Joy Carberry named at 15 for Munster for the Connacht game um, in the URC this weekend. What's your... Uh, do we... Are we reading too much into this to even have a conversation about it? Mike Haley's injured, so he's filling the gap and that's it. Move on. Nothing to see. Yeah, I think so. And I think Simon Zewo is, is Simon Zewo injured as well? He doesn't feature anyway, so he must be, yeah. Yeah, I think so. I was talking to Mike a few, uh, well, not a few days ago. It's probably over a week now. But he was saying that they've they've been unfortunate with a lot of injuries, and obviously they have guys on the tour. So he said they were really, um, I suppose, deep tapping deep into their resources. So for me, as a coach, you want your best players on the pitch, whether it's at ten or fifteen. Uh, for me, Joey Carberry needs to be on the pitch. So ideally, from Ireland's point of view, he's playing at ten, but. Uh, you have to put Monsters' needs first this weekend, and and he's playing, and that's good for 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 Monster, and it's good for him. Very good. What is it? Is it a cappuccino or an americano, or what? What gets the day going? Um, or oh, cafe Merling, our big president. It's uh, what, what is it? Cafe Merling. Vincent Merling is our president. Okay. You know? So you're that's, obliged to. Uh, you can't. You can't be having anything else. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> good man. Go, go we'll see you, lads. Thanks, William. Cheers. Bye bye. That was uh, good stuff. Interesting stuff across the board. Um, Leinster not really an option. I don't think it's. He's also living in. Uh, I mean, I think you you were asking the pertinent question, which we've had. It, was, it struck me that we've had that conversation with him before about England. Yeah, I think he was yeah. more inclined. <laughs> I think he was more inclined to take the England job. Probably than, yeah. uh, than Leinster. Yeah. Well, would you take the? What's the what's the who are the main West Meath rivals? Lee Shoffley, Meath, Dublin, Dublin. Sorry, well, you like to think this, so. this, this. Like I heard you having a conversation during the week about Kildare and Kildare, yeah. Like this, you assumed in the conversation that Kildare was the second best team in Leinster, which is an awful arrogance. Are they not? Okay. I mean, well, I know. I, I know they got to. I know they beat Westmead only by three points. Let's face it; it was more than that in the, in the semi final last year. I just, it's it's not like uh, it's not like Dublin Kildare. No, I think, I think and then the rest yeah. it's like Dublin Kildare Westmead no I agree I agree Westmead like there's fine margins that I'm just saying God you were triggered by that anyway Adrian. I was triggered yeah 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 what, Not, was, your, what was your question would uh, I take over Dublin well it's it's, it's a similar <laughs> thing the Munster Leinster you know um, I guess when people have a rivalry they grew up with it's it's something that you can't really let go of and, and Ronan is as he said it's it's not really like a Benitez thing he is a corkman he is a monster man to the bone so it would be difficult from that perspective to, to take like you can't imagine Ronan O'Gara sitting in a Leinster uh, dugout playing against Munster just, I can can you? yeah I think that his answer was more to do with just there's work to be done in La Rochelle that was I mean I, he well able to represent himself and he did that just yeah, fine yeah. but that was my takeaway from it that it wasn't he certainly wasn't saying Obviously, he was saying, you know, his base is Cork, and that's his more natural leaning. That's the most obvious thing in the world, but I um, wonder, uh, would he, and, uh, you know, I'm from Cork, been getting called call very excited. I've never seen him so excited. How do you know someone's from Cork? They'll tell short you. tenure so far in the box out there. <laughs> uh, so, there is that. But 
I, yeah, well, I don't know. He wasn't fully shutting the door on a on a on a. Like, he's 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 polite. a rugby coach. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But, and that's why he's going to be linked inevitably with these jobs. But he's a top uh, rugby coach. Yeah. Leinster a top rugby team. Yeah. It'd be madness to say that would never happen. Would it not be a, more of a challenge to take your your old province to back to the the heights they once were in '06 and '08? More of a challenge. Yeah. It's a challenge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I'd like. I'd, it'd be obviously it's it's not maybe not going to happen. And he he gave Andrew Goodman a fair decent recommendation there for the role. Yeah. Um So. That's a that's a LinkedIn uh, thumbs up from from Ronan for that, for that job I think. So uh, a LinkedIn yeah. thumbs up is that that's the modern parlance. I don't know what way it's what do you what, kudos no I don't know how LinkedIn works. Yeah. Uh, but yeah no Goodman is obviously Goodman's a man that that Ronan knows very well and and as I said Andrew Goodman spoke very highly about him recently. So but it's 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 Johnny Sexton's role at some point. Uh, well well I did when. think that was interesting. He was the first person that calibrated that because like Sexton's on the record himself now not that recently as far as I can recall saying they didn't really want to get into coaching the business thing was his thing. Yeah. Um, and that seems as if seems still as if maybe that's the way he's going he's certainly very invested in his business interests so uh, as you would expect um, whether you know like I think Rona makes a very fair point there that like you know maybe going straight into what effectively is kind of a head coach job with a director of rugby obviously in Leo Cullen beside you um, you know whether that's the smartest thing as your first gig yeah he went as I think he might have gone as kicking coach to harassing before you moved into other areas. Yeah, you have to earn your stripes a little yeah. bit, and uh, yeah, good. That's what Goodman has asked a couple of weeks ago about Ronan maybe going back to Super Rugby and being a head coach mm. with someone like the Crusaders mm. or someone. But I mean, that's that's up in sticks and heading back halfway across the world to, to manage a team. So I don't know if that's on Ronan's radar. But um, yeah, I think you do have to earn your stripes. So for Johnny, it's probably a case of uh, slowly emerge your way into coaching and yeah. uh, develop your develop your talents. I you probably maybe have to go elsewhere. Leave Leinster in order to come back. So where would he go, Shane? Come on, well, that's, that's insult or province. Not here. Monster. Insult or province. Here. Yeah, yeah, probably not Munster because of the 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 aforementioned rivalry. But um, yeah, Johnny has a great future in coaching. I think if he wants it. Who's your team? My my rugby team. Man, man. Oh, yeah. we we had this discussion. I knew this was going to come up. Uh, I'd be I'd, I'd probably follow Connacht rugby right more so than than Ulster rugby. No real like a Tommy Bow gave us some great days in the the Ulster jersey and watched him. Would you go up watching him? No, when he was there, no, no, no. I'd have never been to Ravenhill. Never been to Ravenhill. Wow, never been to Ravenhill. I just, uh, I, I don't know. It's um, never, it never. I never followed the Ulster team as such. Whereas I would follow, I'd nearly followed the other three Irish provinces ahead of Ulster mm. when it comes to rugby. I know it sounds a strange thing to say, um, but there's probably a lot of disenfranchised rugby fans in in Monaghan, Cavan, Donegal, especially that maybe don't feel a. Uh, like the Ulster rugby team is something that they get involved in um, and maybe within the six counties yeah probably it, it's maybe it's a cultural thing um, and maybe it's just over over the years that's just been the way it, it's been probably shouldn't be because um, anyone who knows the geography knows Monaghan Cavan and Donegal are in Ulster but um, yeah it's a funny one because I, I know you don't alone. feel part of the province of, like you don't feel part of the the, the Ulster rugby brand because you're in but you're out you're yeah. kind of you're on the borderline there um, and Khmer, forgetting about all the like political yeah. you know reasons etc that you might not want to do that I, I went up to a game there Connacht game a couple of years ago it's like, it great not out we yeah. never tempted to just go Jesus like good quality and show tonight even to go up and support your native Connacht and all that or whatever yeah 
Oh, to go to Connacht? Yeah, oh, to, yeah. Go, to go up to Raven Hill and go to Raven check Hill. out the game. Maybe, you see, I don't know, the, the, obviously the Connacht link for me is dad is a Galway man. Um, you have a get-out clause is what you're saying. I have a get-out clause. Mm. So I have a, a bloodline straight into Connacht. Mm. But um, yeah, I don't know. And, and people have said that, that the atmosphere at, at Connacht matches and, and the night out in Galway afterwards is, is well worth it. Now Belfast is a great town for a night out as well. Um, but I feel like the atmosphere at the, at the Connacht game is just as... Like tonight, for example, is going to be an excellent night out for both sets yeah. of fans and they've got the new 4G pitch as well yeah. um, like that's a proper atmosphere and Galway's going to be hopping after the match because of it so I don't know it, there's just something about Connacht that, that maybe drew me there more than more than Ulster I don't uh, there are plenty don't get me wrong of Monaghan rugby fans who are Ulster fans also right. but I know there's a large cohort I don't know the percentage we, split we but a large cohort who won't go to Ulster and will maybe follow other provinces yeah. so yeah. It's, it's a funny one I don't know the reasons for it Definitely want to hear from you this morning if you're uh, in any of those counties and you have a view on that, um, fire it into us and explain it to us and we'll uh, we'll bring it to the audience this morning. You are watching OTBAM. It's gone five past eight. It is Friday morning and you're watching OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effort that's finished to your day. And wherever it is that you are at this morning, we're delighted to have you with us, uh, whether you're on your commute or just taking it handy on a Friday or preparing to go on the lash like our colleagues here a little bit later on, uh, wherever it is, we are delighted to uh, have you with us. And we've loads still to come. We're going to talk to Alan Quinlan get in our teeth stuck into the URC a little bit more detail a little bit later on uh, with him we're going to talk to Martin Lipton about Arsenal last night and looking ahead to Tottenham over the weekend as well and uh, Lee McKenzie on her new Formula 1 book and uh, Kathleen is going to drop in because we have football to chat about uh, Scotland have been confirmed as the Republic of Ireland's opponents on Tuesday in that World Cup playoff so we will uh, get Kathleen's view on all of that so that's all uh, still to come I was Shane I have to say struck by the um, situation at Worcester obviously mm. um, over the last week and um, you know the fallout from that and it being the latest stepping stone in the first place I went to was like yet again here we are failed by sports administration and there was a, it wasn't alone this week there was a few things but it was just this constant beat of a conversation that we've had before and that we should go back to every now and then to sense check ourselves against but um I would definitely hold the view that sport shouldn't be allowed to run itself. Like, it's just proven time and time again at really high-profile level that it's just not up to the task. Or, better again, it's proven maybe that there are people at all levels of sport here here and across the world who are just so craven so as to use it to mischievously strip you of your money or to feather their own power base or to just cheat the game as has been happened in some areas that you would never have expected it between Irish dancing or chess even over the last couple of weeks it does in my view absolutely and the further the more evidence we see of this the closer I believe we should get to this which would be a watchdog or some sort of an auditor or somebody that is seen to be whiter than white who can hold sport to account at the highest level. A UN for sport, something like that, I think. Uh, an ultimate arbiter for stuff like, is it okay for the Saudi state to buy a Premier League club? We can't decide that ourselves because our interests are too vested. We'll outsource that to somebody else. And the same for LiveGov. Is it okay for this thing to set up? Or is it not okay? And let's have a body in place that can decide that. Should a fighter who's just found to have been doped be allowed to fight anyway? Send that over, because boxing can't, has proven it's not able to make that decision itself. Mm -hmm. Send that over to the arbiter. Is this top-level English club in rugby being run appropriately, or is it a shambles that's headed for financial ruin? We've proven we we can't be the arbiter of that. We can't decide that. We're not able to audit them. Send that decision over there, outsource it. Has this World Cup bid process been run clean and fair? Is this guy who's running his National Football Association like his own personal Disneyland fit for purpose? 
is it okay that a, a global drug cartel can find themselves basically running a sport and on and on we go and the scope of it doesn't uh, need to be defined now it can be debated and defined over the next while um, as we would work to something like that and like look there are so many good people involved in sport and the running of sport and volunteers but sport itself has just been uh, has proven time and time again that it cannot be trusted to govern itself. And every sports club and association, excluding all, because it's the next natural step after that, that's grand. How do you fund that? I would exclude any amateur sports or any amateur associations or any non-profit making club or associations. And just, you're saying to all profit making clubs and associations, federations, etc., X percentage of the money you're making is going in over here to fund this. And that's just the way it works. And governments would need to get together um, to make this happen. But I believe I believe it has to happen mm-hmm. at some point. Yeah, all very fair points. Um, and it, it's kind of, it's sickening in that if, if you talk, look 10 years ago even, maybe I'm wrong in saying this, but it feels like most sports we cover an off the ball and we cover a lot of them, there have been negative stories around them and, and it feels like every week we have maybe at least one negative story about but sports we've had obviously the Worcester story as you mentioned Qatar is not going to go away anytime soon over the next few months Live Golf you touched on as well Daniel Kinnahan's hands all over boxing Like it, it feels like you can't you can't really enjoy I think it was a year ago today almost I think it was to the day actually when, when the Saudis took over Newcastle and like it, these stories go away like we even we mentioned it on the show yesterday morning like we're all happy days talking about Erling Haaland and what he's brought to Man City but we've all, the sports washing has worked Forget because we, we've stopped talking about cities where they get their money and it um, should include stuff like that and it should include stuff like the way the Glazers are running Man United yeah. and mm-hmm. just like let that be out there and let somebody because it's it's unfair to ask the people who are running the thing mm. who can't separate their need for the thing to succeed from what's going on at the club. Yeah. And like if you look at Worcester, obviously there's an example that most people here does the people really care here? They don't. It's a totally different system. It's there's some sympathy for it and it comes across the radar in a twenty four, forty eight hour news cycle and on we go. But I just think there's just stuff like that. And like I know you use the term a negative and I would say that probably you're probably representing the vast majority of people who look at it that way. But for me, it misrepresents the reality of the situation because it suggests it as an outlier, and yeah. it's just not. It's this is this is just commonplace. Uh, yeah, yeah, and it's yeah, it's it's it also highlights the Worcester stuff, especially like you're hearing in the news in the last twenty four hours or so. Worcester having to sell the land around six ways, and mm. players are obviously being allowed to leave the club now. And y- yeah, you're right in that the new cycle of Worcester and Wasps as, as well will 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 depart. But even I think back to when Monaghan United went under and the negativity that brings around the local area and the uh, yeah the word depression it, it's a, it is a depression people who have gone to football matches or rugby matches like the, the Worcester Warriors rugby fans will be in a bad place at the minute um, and people might say sport doesn't matter and in the grand scheme of things you'd be right to say that but so many people have got some great great moments and their life nearly revolves around those mm. moments with Worcester so I can feel for the fans you feel for the players as well who've been out of pocket for four or five months probably and put, they'll go on and get get new clubs but it's the fans at the end of the day that, mm. and Steve Diamond I know the the um, ch- director of rugby at, at Worcester has come out uh, quite clearly on Twitter mm. uh, very pointed tweets towards the owners and it's all going to come out in the wash uh, how and why Worcester went under um, and all these um, all these things like it, it would make you sick, sick to the stomach and it's going to come out eventually mm. but yeah that that's that's who you, you feel for is people 
the people involved in the club, the people, you know, the tea ladies who've been there for decades, the the fans who have followed the team for for so long, and for for a team like that to go under because of mismanagement, um, and and the truth telling needs to start now. And and yeah, Worcester is a little bit removed from us over here, but the English Premiership as a whole suffers because of it. Yeah, uh, and rugby in this hemisphere will suffer because of it uh, indirectly. But yeah, it leads into to everything we talk about because I know you were talking about the Gary Neville stuff as well. Yeah. Guitar and and we were kind of talking on the show all week about how how do we cover the negativity in Qatar because as Michael Denny said during the week on, on the evening show with Joe and it will get to a point where you're just watching you know Netherlands against Ecuador or whoever or England against Iran and you're you're talking about the football match and like are we taking part in sports sports washing by not constantly bringing up the, the human rights abuses and, and the situation in Qatar I don't know what the best way to do it is like I know Gary Neville's trying to get out there get ahead of it and do his little piece um, well I've wa- I have to say I've watched half of the documentary I haven't had time to watch it all I will yeah. watch the rest of it later on today and he does say like you know watch the documentary before you make up your mind and I, he does address all the issues that he should be addressing around LGBT rights and women's rights it feels very it felt to me watching it as if it was a bit one dimensional I was waiting for the second question when he was talking to people about the impact of that stuff I was waiting to dig into it a bit deeper I was waiting for him to talk about some of the atrocities that didn't from what I've seen so far materialise and like look Mark Dunning here has been in touch today something like a court of arbitration for sport might work and maybe it's very legalistic and obviously they're absolutely like clearly you need to have that aspect of it but it can't either be hamstrung by months and months and years and years of of delay about stuff it does need to have different levels of response depending on something like the Ben Eubank fight this weekend obviously it needs to be able to turn that around pretty quickly so look at I don't know we'll see somebody Shane in touch here another Shane on YouTube says as a Cava man I echo what Shane is saying more people I know uh, would prefer Munster as their second team no real affiliation to Ulster rugby at all uh, seems to be the general tone of um, contact we've got coming in. And if you've uh, got a view on it, if you're from that area, please do uh, fire that into us. It's quarter past eight. You're watching OTPM, brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. We're going to be back after the break. Martin Lipton, football writer. We're going to chat Arsenal and Spurs. OTB AM. Martin Lipton, good morning to you. Good morning, how are we? We're flying at them. We've, uh, like last Friday, Arsenal and Tottenham to talk about. And it does feel as if it'll be... Uh, Maybe, I don't know, slightly different conversation to last week in that events have happened and now we know a little bit more about both of them. Um, Arsenal beating uh, Bodo Glimt last night, three goals to nil. It feels, it felt like a result, um, I mean, look at the were kinks in the performance, but it felt like a result, and almost including last weekend, that you're coming to expect from this Arsenal group now. They're playing really well. As I said last week, they've been the standout team in the league this season and uh, they've got a further chance to reinforce that uh, on, on Sunday, and if they do, I don't, I don't think anyone can can stop taking them seriously, as it were. You know, they'd have to be looked at as a, as a viable, uh, certainly as a top four certainty, I would say. And then maybe even if City were to slip, a potential ch- ch- champion. I think they're still unlikely to to win the league. I think City are going to win it quite comfortably. But Arsenal have been, as I said, the best team so far this season. They proved it. Um, they were infinitely better than Spurs, irrespective of whether or not it was a red card. I think it probably was. Um, last week but just better but that doesn't mean anything in, in the greater scheme of things if they can't do it over the whole of the the season and the, the caveat that I, I brought in last week is still the same we talked last week about how Arsenal would get on um, with an injured with injured players and using their squad and they didn't have to they picked their first 11 mm. um, they were able to get everyone back let's add, and they looks like they have a full squad on, on Sunday but it's a very long season and I still only think they've got 14, 15 players. 
Mm. Fabio Vieira was the man that, that really stood out last night, Martin. And I know it was first goal for Arsenal, but um, even aside from the goal, the, the the setting up for the Rob Holding goal, the way he tucked the ball down and, and perfect whipped cross uh, for that second Arsenal goal, he has something, this fella. Well worth well worth the whatever, 30, 35 million quid they've spent. He showed that with the goal he scored at Ventford, didn't he? I mean, he's a very talented young boy, but obviously uh, Arteta's not going to throw him into the the mix of a Premier League game every week at the moment. He doesn't think that's right. He's going to look after him and nurture him. And again, that that's it. Build him up until he's ready to play on a more regular basis. But it certainly gives them uh, a, an extra string to the, to the bow. There's, there's no doubt about that. And I think they should be should be very pleased with, uh, with his development. I think in two or three years, we'll see the real player. And that'll be something quite, quite exciting for any Arsenal fan. Um, of that, I've, I've no doubt. Like a rare start for for Eddie and Katia in from the cold a little bit maybe, but pe- people almost forget. And I kind of only noticed this morning reading the back of the papers like uh, twelve goals in his last fifteen starts for Arsenal, and yet you look ahead to Sunday against Liverpool, he will inevitably be sitting back on the back on the bench. So must be frustrating for someone like Eddie and Katia, such a great talent, and when he does start for Arsenal, he's he's usually very good. Um, so it's it's a tricky one for Mikel Arteta. It is. I mean, he was out of contract. It looked like he was going at the end of last season. There was a bit of a U-turn to give him a new deal. Uh, I think he was prepared to move on at that point, and it obviously hadn't happened. But he's going to start knocking on the door and saying, go and give me a game if he's not playing. Um, and that's only natural and right. You know, you want to be playing football. He, uh, he, he will be able to say to Arteta, what more do you want from me? You ask me to score when I play, and I do. So, so what else? But at the moment, obviously, he's got Gabriel Jesus. And I don't think anyone could argue that he doesn't deserve to start. And their formation has one striker. So it is it is difficult for Nketiah to, to see him getting too much football in the in the short term. His little dribble, uh, Jesus, uh, along the end line for that goal was a thing of absolute beauty. It uh, Like some of the conversation you've just been having, the question Shane's been asking over the last while, obviously we've moved way beyond any idea that uh, Mikel Arteta would be going anywhere anytime soon. Um, you talked a little bit about him, Martin, and what, you know, it, I think the, the worst thing that's thrown at him is that he's pep light, which is, uh, I mean, strikes me as still, still a compliment. Well, I have that. I yeah. might, might like being anyone like, to be honest. It'd be quite nice because I'm <laughs> a bit heavy uh, at the moment. But no, I think, look, there's clear, it's clear that he worked with, with Guardiola and learned from Guardiola and brought in some of his, some of his ways. I don't think he's a, a deliberate carbon copy in any way, shape or form, but they are two peas from a similar pod. Uh, and you can tell that in their, their attitude, uh, their thoughts about the, how the game should be played. I, I don't think he's quite as um, intense as, as Pep in terms of the training and he's still very hard working but it's not uh, as rigid as I think people would say Pep is um, but the, he's certainly uh, reaping the benefits now of all the hard work he put in over the last couple of years and also moulding a squad that's very much his squad as opposed to the one he inherited He's a bit more ruthless now as well Martin uh, Arteta I, I feel like he's um, you know like last night I know it's only bottled glimpse, but uh, you know, when when you have the lead in, in the Europa League game, uh, and then he brings on Jesus, Saka, Odegaard, White, like he's really standing on the neck of of some of the smaller teams, and it's that intensity that he, that he's bringing. And he he clearly isn't isn't willing to to let up and and just bring on the young guns and and let games peter out. He he really wants to to put on a show for the Arsenal fans at the minute. Yeah, I'm, I, I do wonder whether that was in the long term the smart move, and that's not been a criticism other than. There's so many games to play. They're playing, Arsenal playing nine games this month. 
Um, they're going to another couple, two or three before the uh, before the World Cup break, and then they're going to have to play 24 league games plus uh, domestic and European cups. We could be looking at 40 games after Christmas, and you can't keep on pushing players through. There's a, a genuine fear amongst uh, at the top of the, the PFA in this country that there's going to be a, an epidemic of injuries mm. uh, because players are over, going to be overplayed this season. Uh, I would, if I'm two or two new up at home. And I'm Gabriel Jesus. I'm thinking, I wouldn't mind having just sitting here for a bit. We've got Liverpool on Sunday. Hmm. I don't need half a half hour run out. But maybe at the moment, because everyone's feeling so positive, they just want to play. They want to be part of it. Um, and he and he's uh, working on that basis. I just wonder if come an injury crisis, which which could happen, they might escape it. They might get go through the entire season without any injuries. But if they do start picking up stress and strain injuries because of you know, just wear and tear, things like that might be complicit in that. Yeah, it's been a while since we've previewed Arsenal, Liverpool, and uh, f- felt that maybe you know this could be could be Arsenal's time. But it does feel as if, given form lines coming into the game, the fact that it's obviously a home game for Arsenal. That uh, I mean, I don't know what the odds say, but they must be slight favourites. I would say so. I say fifty-five, forty-five, maybe sixty, forty. I mean, you, Liverpool aren't in great nick, and they played better, I thought, in midweek against Rangers, but. They were against a fairly ordinary Rangers side. They are a, a long way away from their best, and that means there's a vulnerability which Liverpool, which Arsenal can exploit. Particularly knowing that, as you do, that Arsenal are going to try to get on the ball and force the pace of the game, and and ask those questions that we know at the back Liverpool don't like answering, and that's going to be the critical thing. In, in previous games, even over recent seasons, Arsenal have huffed and puffed, and they've then run out of wind pretty early and Liverpool picked them off quite comfortably now I don't think that will happen uh, this time it may of course but I don't think it will uh, and Liverpool were they to lose with City presumably beating Southampton I think they're playing that gap becomes huge doesn't it it's big enough as it is now but that you you would find struggle to find a, a way of justifying an argument that Liverpool can make it up and again the, the mentality of Liverpool then changes completely because they're not playing for the title anymore Hmm. The longer the longer it goes on, Martin, with Arsenal um, staying around about the top of the Premier League table, like do you get the feeling that the the Europa League will take on less significance for them as 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 the league takes on more significance, or if they keep the results going, or or is the Europa League a, a serious shot at a trophy for Mikel Arteta? Uh, if I, if they're not the favourites to win that trophy, I don't know who is because they're the, they're definitely the best team and current form in that competition, uh, and. That would be a, in itself a vindication because also it's the it, just in case they blow up in the in the in the league. I'm not saying they will, by the way, but just in case you win the Europa League, you're in the Champions League next season anyhow. Mm. You you know the 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 the, the, to, the trophy itself is actually worth less than the prize of being uh, that it, it leads to in many ways. Uh, the only thing you don't get is a share of the market pool, but other than that, you get all the all the Champions League money and. Were I Arsenal, I, I don't see any reason why I would not m- want that to be an ambition, whilst going for for other things domestically as well. Uh, there was the very sad news from Tottenham yesterday of the passing of, at the age of just 61, their fitness coach, Jean-Pierre Ventrone, and uh, lots of lovely tributes paid to him, um, Harry Kane, Son, Dyer, there was a lot of players that were out. Uh, he seems like to have been held in a huge amount of affection, which must have been quite the talent, given that he was the guy responsible for um, you know the famous putting them through their paces uh, pre-season uh, uh, piece. He must have been uh, quite the presence around the place, Martin. 
Uh, well, I'm told, yeah, there was an awful lot of respect for him. Yeah, he was a, a, a rather hard taskmaster in pre-season in particular. Uh, he literally made them sick. Um, but I think they recognised that he was doing it for a greater purpose. And they, I think as a, on a human level, it appears he was a really, and I, I, I've not met him, I don't know, it appears he was a really uh, decent fellow. They all seem to have huge respect and regard for him. And this would have been a, a huge and, and devastating blow to the club, one that will have rocked the club mm. uh, over the last 24 hours or so. I mean, the fact that they cancelled the first conference yesterday with um, uh, with Conte was no mm. surprise. I thought that was going to happen because obviously he's one of his closer uh, ac- acolytes. Uh, and it will be a, 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 a blow. But they're professional footballers and they'll, they'll talk about winning the game in his memory, I assume, against... Uh, against Brighton and that will be the aim and then they can dedicate it to to him and I know that's a trite thing uh, because nothing can compare to the loss of a uh, uh, of someone in, in these circumstances but that's the nature of professional sport isn't it you look for often look for a galvanising cause we, when we had you on last week, we were talking about there was a, a headline at the back of your own paper in the Sun about Conte putting pen to paper, and you know you were saying, look, this is a good situation for everybody. But I mean, like you take the results of the last week and you pair them with the, obviously the sporting result last month. I know the Leicester uh, result is there is a bit of a. I mean, it looks in the context of everything else to be almost a bit of an outlier, maybe not a great reflection on Leicester more than anything else. But again, another blank during the week. You, the the result obviously from um, Saturday lunchtime against Arsenal, which will have bitten deep for for Spurs fans. Um, and you know they have, they have uh, Brighton this weekend, and like they're flying it. So you know, uh, uh, what's the result there? Like maybe a draw is a good result. They have uh, Frankfurt again, obviously next week. They have Everton. They have United to come. So a couple of sticky patches there. We could be talking over the next couple of weeks about a very different conversation about this uh, Tottenham team and maybe about Conte. No, no, don't think so. Uh, there's no question that, that the club want Conte to stay long term. Uh, they've had. They haven't played well this season, but they still look at the table. They're third in the league. They've lost two matches in all competitions. I think most of them will take that. Uh, look where they were last season, a total and utter mess. They're not that now. They're actually missing Kulisewski more than I think people anticipated mm. uh, since he uh, uh, he's missed two games and that's shown. He's, they lack that extra thrust. Son isn't playing very well despite his hat-trick. Uh, and I think there's a there's a call from fans to consider changing shape and going to a midfield uh, a three in the central midfield, which would include um, Bissouma playing. But whenever you don't win a match, fans get the hump at every club, even if it's a couple of, and two games. Oh dear! And then they win the next match, and people start to think, calm down. Mm. Um, I'm I'm fairly happy with where with where Tottenham are. I just wish they were playing a little bit better, but that happens in a season. And there's certainly no sense of panic or drift or inertia there. They just think it's part of the the ebb and flow of the season. The the uh, Matt Doherty question kind of uh, took a lot of headlines over here, uh, Martin, in in uh, Ireland, understandably. When Antonio Conte brought him up in the, in the press conference, and just so I can quote him directly, he said, "Also, Doherty last season played every game. Now I'm not seeing him in the right way to start the game. I'm not stupid. I don't want to lose. I tried to put the best team to pick the best team now." Maybe these comments are taken out of context. Maybe there's a, a minor language barrier and he didn't say what he meant to say. But from, from one perspective, it seems like he was quite damning about Matt Doherty. Well, it looks like he hasn't recovered from the injury, doesn't it? Simple as that. He is, the injury has taken its toll. And uh, that sometimes that can happen because he was playing really, really well until he got injured. 
but then he was out for quite a while and you know certain players take longer to return and recover from from such things than than others um the other thing what for all the stick that emerson royal gets and he deserved to be sent off he's actually been pretty consistent this season and much better than last season so you get royal who's played relatively well and is fit versus doherty who's who he trusts as a player when he's right but he doesn't think he's right and Spence, who he doesn't quite think is ready yet. So you pick the one who's, who's, who's ready and available. Except, of course, this weekend and the next two, Emerson Royal isn't available. So it'll have to be Doherty or Spence. And I suspect I would have thought it'd be Doherty. I mean, he could try and play um, Perisic on the right again. That didn't work against Leicester. So my, my assumption would be that it would be Doherty. And is your assumption or your expectation on uh, Saturday evening that, that the goals start to come back, that Tottenham get all this right again? I mean, who knows with Brighton at the minute, but as I said, they do they do look good, um, but that the train gets back on track? Uh, honestly, I've no idea. I mean, like, I remember when they went down to Pochettino and got absolutely thumped 3-0, and it was the, basically the beginning of the end, if not the middle of the end for Pochettino. Um, other seasons, you know, last year they won 2-1 away at Brighton, or 2-0 away and then lost 1-0 at home. Brighton are a good team mm. and they caused problems for anyone and it wouldn't shock me if they got a result uh, you know, as they did at Liverpool last week. Spurs just need a goal, I think, at the moment to, to get themselves going. Um, they, pl- I thought they were much better on uh, on Tuesday night than they were at Arsenal despite not, not scoring. I thought they, they were four or five occasions when it just needed a touch in front of goal and you know with that quality of of striker they're going to score I mean they are still the third highest scorers in the league it's not as if they're falling apart mm. Really interested to, to listen to Peter Crouch talking about um, the Tottenham style of play under Conte in the last number of days, Martin, where he, he talked about the, the you know getting chances in the counter-attack, but he felt that they'd maybe defended too deep. He'd like to see them be more expansive and progressive. I think he used the word aggressive as well. Like, What's your take on that? I know Conte's maybe not going to be uh, combing the papers, reading to what Peter Crouch thinks of his, his playing style, but I mean, Crouch compared it to the, the style that he had at, at Stoke when he was playing there. So is it a style of play that you think needs altered in any way? I don't think it really compares with the way Stoke played. I've got to be honest. <laughs> it's an interesting argument from Peter. Uh, I think the fans definitely would like that extra body in midfield. I think they feel that that's where there's a lack of intensity at times at the moment. And were that to happen and not work, then you look at it. But we know with Conti, he's going to play his way because his way has always been successful for him. Um, and relatively recently successful for him. Not as if he was only successful 15 years ago. We're talking about in the last four or five years. Chelsea played a relatively reactive way uh, and won the title comfortably in 16-17. In he knows what he wants to do and he'll keep doing it his way. And he trusts that the you know, at the end of last season, in fact this year, I think only City have got more points than Spurs. It's not as if they've been struggling all season. Mm. Oh, yeah. They've just had a little blip in the last week or so. Martin, thanks, William. Thanks, take care. Thanks a lot, Martin Lipton. Football writer, 8.33, Friday morning. Uh, where are you at this morning and you're on your way to work? Whatever it is you're up to, do get in contact with us. Plenty of comments coming in. We should mention as well, by the way, Shamrock Rovers losing 3-0 at Malta last night. Uh, not showing themselves in the best light was how Tommy Martin des- uh, described it in his analysis. He was talking to Brian Kerr and Damien Delaney last night in Virgin Media. Uh, Burn Burke Gaffney among those in the bench last night. And, uh, you know, I know there's the context of a big game coming this weekend against Shelburne and that's the uh, setting for all of this stuff as... People tried to make sense of why they lost 3-0. And it could have been more, I have to say. It definitely could have been more looking at looking at the highlights yesterday evening. Yeah. But um, it, the prizes on offer for this, 
I just did wonder, like at a club that was run slightly differently, and I'm not, by the way, in the context of the previous conversation, the Champ Grovers are run just fine, but uh, a club that were maybe more profit orientated, that you know the vast sums of money that even for a draw like that in 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 the tournament, um, in the Conference League would. Uh, you know, dwarfs the amount of money that you can win yeah. for the entire league in the League of Ireland. I just did wonder, like, there must be at least some part of Stephen Bradley saying, oh, I mean, that money would also be kind of good to, you know, like, you're basically accepting that you, you ain't getting anything if you're going out there with, if you're not showing yourself in the best light in terms of your team selection. Yeah, you wonder what it's all for then. Like, what's the point in winning the Irish Domestic League if you're going to go into the... And all the celebrations the and the, like... And not performed your best. The whole country was team. like delighted for them, and it was like, and then suddenly we're just not going to bother. Yeah, putting Jack Byrne in the team. It was strange, very strange. And as you mentioned, like even the, I think it's 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 over hundred grand, well over hundred grand for a draw in the Europa League group stages. So like it would be so financially beneficial for them to even pick up a draw last night. Now Mulder were the better team by far, and three 0 was was possibly kind on on Shamrock Rovers, but. Um, yeah, when you see the personnel on the bench last night, you're, you're, it's a little bit confusing. You're wondering what's the what's the story here? Why, why? Why? Like, inevitably, if Derry City hadn't been breathing down their necks, the team selection would have been different last night. So, you know, if they're running run, running away with the domestic title, Grant, you can you can see why they would then put out their strongest team. But it it leaves a strange taste in the mouth because you're like, what? Well, what's the point in Irish teams getting Even from to the, the level? players' point of view? Yeah, would they surely don't like burn. Wanted to play. Gaffney are looking at that, going, "These are the games I want to be here. I want yeah. to be involved. Like this is, this is why we do it." Like, the, and like yeah. you know, but it was Dan or somebody was on recently making the point that these are the games that people who are not into the League of Ireland will take notice of because yeah. they're on terrestrial TV against you know European opposition. I don't know. No, I didn't like it. I didn't like it. And uh, now maybe there's some Shamrock Rovers fans who can get in touch with us and let us know what they think because there's uh, there is understandably a desire to to go on and win the win the Electricity Premier Division as well. Mm. Um, and Derry City are going very well, so you kind of have to win this weekend against Shelburne. But I, I don't like it. Six k for a draw. For a draw. What is it? Half a million. Half a million for a win. Like that's not beyond the realms of possibility. Mulder come to town. I think is it next week. Yeah. Like Rovers, have, go for it. Like just. You know, those sums of money coming into the league to look at, I don't, they don't come in and then sort of get parachuted around all the other clubs. They'll go yeah. and sit as they did with Dundalk a number of years ago when they went their run in the Europa League. They sit with the club or whatever. But like, Jesus, I don't know, just for, for, for a league that so often struggles financially mm-hmm. to have somebody bringing in those, the opportunity to bring in those sums of money just seems... The cynical side of me would, would, would almost think that, uh, you know, maybe Stephen Bradley's thinking about that home leg and thinking, right, the money is so good for a draw and so good for a win that almost not, not quite accept defeat in, in Norway, but... Mm. And go for it in Dublin. Go for it in Dublin. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Give, us, give us a few days and we'll find out. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, Isolt, good morning to you. says, uh, with boxing, nothing changes ever. It continually finds new lows and unfortunately with no centralised governing body for the pros and uh, corrupt one for the amateurs, as she puts it, it's impossible to see changes. Uh, being a boxing fan is honestly draining. And um, yeah, I'm sure there's plenty of people out there this morning that would uh, echo all of that. We've loads still to come. It's uh, 8.37. It's Friday morning. You're watching OTBAM. Shane, I'm myself with you. Kathleen will be along very shortly to look back on uh, the pre-playoff to the playoff between Scotland and Austria last night and give us a bit of a preview as to what we can expect on Tuesday evening for the Republic of Ireland. Uh, we're going to talk to Alan Quinlan to look ahead to the URC. Lee McKenzie is going to talk to us about her new uh, book on Formula One. So loads still to come and by the way do keep those comments coming into us as well. OTBM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day but right now it is time for the sports pages. There are so many idiots out there so many spoofers there's a lot of horse. 
I think he's a total spoofer. What do you mean a spoofer? He's a bullshit. Ah, no, I'm a, come on, don't, don't be, no, I'm not yes. No. The uh, Herald we're going to start with, and uh, it's the same story in the Independent. Uh, it's a story. The uh, picture from the game last night of Shamrock Rovers there. And by the way, I did notice that their jersey last night is absolutely class. Yeah, slick cracker, isn't it? Very slick. I like the the sleeves. The really kind of nice bit of a throwback sort of a thing. Yeah. Uh, Boylan is back in Meath camp. Is the headline from Donegal Boyle here, and it's carried across a lot of the other papers as well. Uh, Rourke standing down from teaching role to focus on royal task. So he's packed in his job after forty two years. Uh, at St Pat's College he's been principal obviously for the last number of years uh, St Pat's in Avon and uh, he's gone over to Sean Boylan and he said listen Sean um, I don't know really what I have in mind for you but it's kind of been outrageous that you have been involved over the last number of years whatever you want to do if you want to come in and give the speech before the first league game it's all yours if you want to dip in once a week dip in once a month come and join us uh, you'd be mad not to get him involved isn't it great you'd be mad not to get him like I remember <clears throat> we had an event up in uh, Mona and Harps for, for our local club where we had a few different speakers uh, it was a, a fundraising night and Sean was up and David Brady was up and there was a number Sean Cavanaugh was there and like when when, when Sean Boylan spoke I mean there were, you could hear a pin drop in the room we have a clip doing the rounds at the minute we're trying to get people to sign up to uh, get pre notice for events and there's a clip of him at a show and he's talking about actually the night that uh, Colm O'Rourke funnily enough and uh, Lyons and a few of the other players called around to his gaff yes. when things hadn't gone yeah. so well and they knocked on the door the mother sent them up to the house and said you lads go up there and sort it out and one of them might have been Lyons said to him you put your shyness in your back pocket Do you know that clip yes. and yeah, uh, yeah. it's a brilliant in the context of what's going on at the minute it's a brilliant clip but uh, so there's that aspect to it but Colm O'Rourke is putting his money where his mouth is literally by saying I can't do this job while I'm doing that job now he's probably actually I'm not exactly sure what age he is but he strikes me as the sort of fellow who's probably close enough to retirement age anyway, anyway. Yeah. so he maybe brought that a couple of forward a couple, uh, couple of years to give this his best shot and uh, like more luck to him I don't think anyone could be a intercounty manager while being principal of a of a school uh, it's just it, nowadays it's it's, it's a full time job yeah. job you know and and he'd, he'd obviously have until the league starts to to do the teaching roles but um, yeah I think me fans will be quite quite happy to see Colm Murray giving full focus to that and even more happy to see Sean Boyle in the mix as well I mean <clears throat> me the second best team in I was they're probably the fourth best Shane, but I mean fourth best sorry Adrian yeah of course Westmead above them uh, in your books Kildare second. <laughs> this is our official. I, I'm not sure Kildare that, I, I, maybe I wandered into that earlier on I'm not sure Kildare second we'll see, we'll see. GA helped Dublin to dominate says O'Neill this is a story by Frank Roach here and Donald O'Neill one of those that uh, set up the GPA saying that uh, the GA does not do enough to lift standards uh, among the weaker counties and that's obviously despite the introduction of the Talton Cup so uh, interesting stuff there this is the Irish Daily Mirror Rashford sets uh, the benchmark Super Sub Marcus gets nervy Reds out of jail in Cyprus and uh, pretty disconsolate looking Shamrock Rovers at the top of the paper there as well the sun this morning mould 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 damage um, Bradley prioritise home safety uh, this is the 3-0 defeat last night obviously other reaction there to the European action last night uh, I'll make you pay Chris Vow as Ben drug test uh, KO's bout and our Vera uh, best is needed uh, this is about the game on Tuesday night. Uh, that is that. The star, uh, Rash and Grab, obviously on the match last night. Eubank Jr. to school Ben later, he says. Uh, the 
uh, Irish Daily Mirror this morning, 900 grand a week revealed Hallen's mammoth city pay thanks to hefty bonuses. So he's on sort of, some sort of a basic pay that's roughly in line with everybody else. And then the bonuses, which don't even include the mountains of goals that he's scoring, <laughs> bring him up to almost, uh, basically he's earning 45 million a year. Reasonably rich man, Re- at 22 years of age. You've got to keep your head on your shoulders and not uh, get too carried away with the money. Although he's still eating his dad's lasagnas before the, ma- the home matches. I know Alf Inga has been cooking oh, really? lasagna What's before so every... I don't know. I think before every single home game, he cooks him a, a lasagna. Um, Erling put a po- photo up of his lasagna before the, the Copenhagen game the other night. That is the trick, I think. I think you're going to have kids now before matches hearing Haaland eats lasagna. Yeah. I think lasagna sales are going to go through the roof. Yeah. And why wouldn't it? I mean, <laughs> if it works for him. Yeah, that's that's definitely the conclusion. Yeah, it's, yeah. Lasagna and and it's not his innate natural talent. Uh, Pow, we need best game ever to advance. Uh, that's a report there from Mark Gallagher on the Scotland 1 Australian nil result last night and looking ahead, obviously, to next week as well. Just a couple more here. The examiner first, uh, being straight about it, Duncan Casey on the anxieties uh, raised by Rugby Dementia documentary and plenty more inside as well. And the last one uh, for now is the Irish Times, which is uh, disappointed Alan Manis and uh, fellow Shamrock Rovers players in uh, Mulder last night after the loss. Uh, impressive Arsenal attained their season and Rashford gets uh, United out of jail that is the Irish time for you this morning that is the sports pages there are so many idiots out there so many spoofers there's a lot of horse <laughs> I think he's a total spoofer what do you mean a spoofer he's a bullsh** ah no I come on don't, don't be no I'm not yes. no Now it's quarter to nine and Kathleen is with us so we're going to talk some football. First of all, let's get the uh, innermost thoughts of Vera Powell after the Scotland win over Austria last night confirming we would play them at Hampden Park on Tuesday night. Yeah, Scotland was by far the better team and that was a bit surprisingly because uh, we've seen Austria playing against the very, very top te- teams um, magnificent games. Um, but tonight um, it was all over, uh, all over the pitch for Scotland. Is it a good thing for us that it went to extra time for, the, for, for those two teams? Yeah, of course. And they have played under 20 minutes, um, but there's four rest days, so physically they will be, uh, they will be ready. Um, but yeah, the emotions, we need to see how they handle that. Uh, on the other hand, they have played home now. They don't travel. They stay there. Um, they have the, the advantage of the perception of Hamden Park. So, um, yeah, we, we need to play our best game ever. Nothing has changed in that. Yeah, Tuesday night, Hampden Park, Republic of Ireland. Vera Powell's Republic of Ireland up against Gatlin. Kathleen, good morning to you. Good morning, guys. The goal that won it in the end uh, was a corner kick. It was... Um, the first period of extra of extra time. Two minutes into it. Two yeah. minutes into it, and uh, it was a corner kick. It dropped in a place uh, that it really shouldn't have been dropping, and you know, very close to the um, too close to the Austria goal to not have been dealt with in a way that like a Louis Quinn or somebody else. And look at who knows after that number of minutes of football, everybody's knackered, and you don't have the same uh, enthusiasm or energy to get to the ball. But it definitely looked like a goal that Austria are kicking themselves about this morning. I think so, and it was kind of symptomatic of the game as well like it was absolutely lashing at Hampton Park it was just miserable football the grass was kind of long every single shot that both teams put in just was quite poor the players you expected to play well didn't really get a foothold in the game you know the likes of Caroline Weir I know we were talking about Bia as well before the start of uh, the show 
they managed, like Scotland managed to handle Austria quite well um, and probably played to their strengths in the fact that it was a bit of a dirty night for football. But mm. I think that goal is the exact sort of one that's probably going to win it on Tuesday. I see us going toe-to-toe with a team like Scotland. I don't think either side is going to run away with it. I, I certainly hope Scotland aren't going to run away with it. Um, but I think it will be that sort of like free kick corner, set piece, set up and someone just gets ahead on the end of it and gets it into the net um, That was Vera Powell by the way speaking to FAI TV um, last night after that game. No fear for us was how Sue Ronan put it when she was talking to Nathan on the show last night. It was just interesting. Obviously she'd been keeping an eye on events and um, I know obviously when the draw was made people were like oh well Scotland would be the ideal draw here and there's the Celtic rivalry and they're a bit home, closer to home and we might get a few fans over and all that sort of stuff I, the, the playoff the evidence of the 90 plus minutes obviously then sort of maybe tailors your view slightly after that because after they've beaten Austria then at that point you're kind of like well is that, are they, maybe we would have played the worst team um, but specifically you mentioned earlier on obviously in relation to um, Nicole Bia and one of the better Austrian players who Scotland really managed to keep quiet on the night and was brought off before the end of normal time so it may, it sent me straight to thinking if that's how they can deal really efficiently with one of Austria's best players what have we got in store? Well, I think the thing about the Scotland team at the moment, and like I was talking to Emma Byrne about it at the start of the week, it, they're in a really good place. Like they obviously had the disappointment, much like ourselves, of not making it to the Euros. Um, but they're injury-free at the moment. I haven't heard anything since last night that anyone is coming in with any injuries. They're mentally in a really good space. Physically, they're in a really good space. A lot of their top players, you know, you've Caroline Weir putting in bangers over in Real Madrid. Every single week you have the likes of Aaron Cuthbert, who's at Chelsea, also doing really, really well. They were always going to be in a good spot. I think the reason why I would have preferred them to Austria is that I do think we know their players a little bit better. You know, a lot of them would play in the WSL. They're more familiar to us than the Austrians. Uh, I think the style of play is a bit more similar to Ireland. You know, much like ourselves, they have that kind of small country football mentality where they know how to they rely on set pieces they rely on those kind of grab moments where you grab the goal and then you defend for your life so I think that's why I wanted to play them more than Austria Austria would I watched them a couple of times during the Euros and in some of the warm-up games before as well and when they want, they can play really nice football. They can play really nice one-touch football. It wasn't really happening last night because of the length of the grass and the rain. But I feel like we would have struggled with them a bit more than we would have Scotland. It's yeah. It's when you mentioned no injuries for Scotland, you, you still think to Kim Little retiring and and maybe how things could have been different. And would she have considered if she'd known how Scotland were going to progress? Would she have considered coming out of retirement? Obviously, captaining Arsenal in the WSL, so a player they could maybe do with. But the players you mentioned there, like Cuthbert and Weir specifically, how do we nullify them? Because they, they even with Sue Ronan last night, they seem to be the two names that were cropping up quite often. I think. It's probably the same question they're asking themselves, like how do we nullify Katie McCabe and Denise O'Sullivan? You know, they are almost like the equivalents for Scotland. Yeah, I think what they did, re- what Austria did really well last night with Caroline Weir is like she's one of the best midfielders out there, and when she gets onto the edge of the box, she's really dangerous in terms of sending in those rockets. So they just really effectively marked her out of the game. Um, 
it, they had two players on her at various different times and that is a big commitment because it obviously leaves you with a lot of space but I think it probably is worth it. Someone like Erin Cusworth, I mean her and Katie McCabe have had so many battles in the WSL and generally they're kicking lumps out of each other mm. whenever Chelsea and Arsenal meet so she'll definitely be a good person to know how to handle Cuthbert. I think the thing with her is she's so dynamic, she can play literally any position and do it very very well so it'll be making sure that we don't let her have the space that she needs to make those runs um and yeah it's going to be difficult especially with the injuries we have i'm not all that optimistic about a win really don't say it, Kathleen. Don't say it. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it is just me trying to like set myself up so that I don't get yeah. too disappointed as well. Because like because of the injuries, is that the? I think because of the injuries, like mentally, I know the squad is in a good place, and I think it it is one of the better opportunities we've had. And I'm not. God, I'm absolutely setting myself oh. up to curse us now. I'm not expecting us to make the stupid mistakes that we have in the past. Um, I think like we have moved on from that. But I just don't know with the injuries that we have. I mean, they're all starting players. They're all people that are very good. Jessu, before she got that knee injury, was really on the up and a really exciting player for us. You know, Rachel Little John had started to come into the team and be a regular starter and make her stamp on it. And there was the whole going home to Scotland thing and all that stuff. Yeah, it's just, it, some of that should have been written in the stars. But stop. Like, no at least it's stop not, it. Stop it. At least it's not Katie and Denise. Is that the? Can we agree on that? At least. That yeah. Well, like that would be. That <laughs> touch would wood. I'm literally going to hug the desk yeah. as you say that. That would, something. Fa- that would feel to me to be a much. You know, it's like hopefully I think we can still get through this. Because we still have those two, and like yeah, who knows. and even for them as well, like this is such a, a big moment for them. You know, they they've worked for this for so long, and they deserve it so much. I actually, I don't think I've ever felt nervous for a qualifier in this way. Maybe around the end of the Euros, but this just feels different after all that heartbreak. You'd like to see Denise O'Sullivan pick up the ball in the right positions. Like that was an interesting thing Sue mentioned last night that that maybe Jamie Finn or or Lily Ag or someone like that could take up the number six role and and allow Denise to to move further forward. Probably too close to the game for Vera Powell to change anything drastically but it would be nice to see Denise in a threatening position on the pitch. Yeah it'll be interesting to see how she does set up because for the last few games she did go a little bit more attacking than we're used to seeing her um, set up the play but I wonder with the injuries that we have is she just going to go full throttle defensive and a bit like I was saying earlier hope for that set piece that comes along where you know she's able to get a Louise Quinn header or whatever it might be or a Katie McCabe free kick and rely on that to get us through I just don't have a lot of faith that Vera is going to set us up for an entirely attacking display I think you know she'll let Denise get her space and Denise will do what she always does which is no matter what position she plays in she's always on the ball she's always running like kilometres around everyone else Um, but I think her and Katie are obviously going to be key but Scotland are going to know that so we are going to need a good performance from someone that maybe wouldn't be expected to be the standout player the person of the match Um, because I mean that's what happened with Scotland last night you know it wasn't Aaron Cuthbert took the set piece but it wasn't one of their most recognisable names you know it was a substitute Abby Harrison that came on and scored so I think we're going to need uh, another Lily Ag moment or something to see us through Just finally for me Kathleen getting the the game on terrestrial television looks 
I don't know if unlikely is the word. I know Ortee have contracts with the Champions League, so it would be nice to see this game in the public eye as it should be. Definitely. Um, I mean, this is one of the biggest moments for Irish football. I know it's a convoluted playoff process and we're not guaranteed, even if we win, we're not guaranteed an actual spot at the World Cup, but <coughs> it is really hard to underestimate or underemphasize how massive it will be if we do qualify on Tuesday and how massive next summer will be in terms of Irish sport. And I would love to see, whether it's RT, whether it's Virgin, whether it's TG Cahir, like someone in the country picking up this game, showing it on like main live TV. Like even just the fact that if pubs want to show it, like this is the sort of match you should be going to sit in a pub with your mates mm. with a pint or sitting at home in front of the TV with your kids. Like, telling them this is history in the making, this is an Irish team on the edge of going to a World Cup. You know, Katie McCabe, Denise O'Sullivan, whoever it might be, these are Irish sporting icons. So if someone doesn't pick it up, and if it isn't on main TV, then I think that's a serious moment missed. And I think it also shows that we have a long way to go uh, when it comes to making sure we give these things the platform that they deserve. And I think that's a fair conversation. And maybe uh, if they can't get it on one of the main channels, they should just hand it over to Virgin. I think that would be like a real public service we can word it that way and anyway don't worry about any of that it'll be fully live on Off the Ball on Tuesday night from 8 o'clock you'll have a full commentary team bringing you the game from Hamden Park and that's really all you need to know about it Sticking with the Scottish team um, cheers to that Kathleen but we've got uh, Lee McKenzie Scottish broadcaster uh, on the line morning Lee how are things? Morning I'm well thanks how are you? Keeping well keeping well I've been, I've been busy reading this this book for, for anyone um, unfamiliar Inside F1 uh, your, your, your journey and your, your I guess it tells a story through, through seven different drivers across the years and uh, how they've impacted your life and how their careers have impacted the lives of, of Formula 1 fans as well um, like your own interest in Formula 1 and this is something I hadn't realised when I was reading the introduction of the book stemmed very very much so from your, from your dad yeah, it's. Um, I was this sort of annoying child that turned up absolutely everywhere. Um, <laughs> I had covered an awful lot of rugby. Um, I had attended athletics, Formula One, uh, everything really by about the age of, I don't know, 13, 14, 15. And then you just sort of look around one day and you think, I wonder if I could... Uh, earn money by, by still coming to sport and pretending it's a proper job and really that's what I've done since um, Like when, when, you watch, when you're watching Formula 1 races on, on TV and, and you reference the, the uh, Ayrton Senna, Roland Ratzenberger um, tragedy at Imola in, in 1994 like, did moments like that um, wake you up to the dangers of the sport and, and covering those dangers to, to, a, to a greater degree it must have been quite a turning point to watch that on television for example Yeah I mean I was um I was too young to be going to the sport then, mm. but it did make you suddenly sit up and think, okay, this is a, this is a sport with consequences because, you know, my background was all horses and I knew if I fell off, you know, you'd, you'd be sore, you'd be, you could be injured, you could break your arm, whatever. It, it could be much worse, but I don't think as a kid that you really appreciate that. Um, the other sports, you know, you see people limping off in rugby and things when I was that age. Again, I didn't maybe realise the consequences. But somebody crashing into a safety barrier had huge consequences. But it bizarrely didn't put me off. It just sort of made me understand it a lot earlier than a lot of people would have, possibly. Yeah, uh, it really puts things in, in perspective and, and the dangers of the sport, for sure. Um, 
like for anyone who was interested in the book, so David Coulthard writes the, the, the forward and then you've got a, a chapter yeah. on seven, um, all individually fascinating drivers. So Michael Schumacher, Lewis Hamilton, Sebastian Vettel, Max Verstappen, Fernando Alonso, Felipe Massa and uh, Jensen Button. Uh, all interesting characters. Like um, We might maybe start on, on Michael Schumacher because uh, I, I know you have a, a deep interest in, in plenty of sports, but equestrian sports maybe might be right up there. Um, and yourself and Michael, that's something that, that you both shared and that there's a really, really fascinating anecdote you touch on in the book where, where you end up in, on Michael's ranch, essentially. Yeah, I we used to talk about a lot of sports. I love it when you meet different uh, athletes that you can talk of sort of a wide variety of sports. And Michael was one of those people. A lot of people, you know, most people wouldn't appreciate that. Um, but his family had the huge ranch. Um, and actually, they still do. And in Texas as well. But their love of ho- equestrian was Western riding. So reining, the sort of Stetsons, the chaps, the sliding. And it's not something that we particularly do um, in the in the UK, certainly. Um, but he gave me a challenge to compete at the European Championships against him. So I took a horse from West Sussex. I had no idea about Western riding. Um, and I still don't, to be fair. And I took this horse from West Sussex over to Switzerland and competed against him. And we did an interview and it was great fun. Um, but yeah, I did stand on the same step of the podium as Michael, uh, albeit wearing a Stetson and chaps. And uh, yeah, it was very, very surreal. That's one for the grandkids, uh, stand on the same podium as, as, as uh, Michael Schumacher. Um, interestingly, Lee, we had, we had a, an Irish basketball commentator, Timmy McCarthy, on, on the show recently where he was talking about um, his first time meeting Michael Jordan and interviewing Michael Jordan and, and the imprint that left on him. Like For you, that first time that you got to, to interview Michael Schumacher face-to-face must be quite a nerve-wracking moment, but, but then you're a professional as well, so you're also trying to, to get the questions right. Like What, what type of interviewee was he? You had to be really sharp. You had to know what you were doing. You had to get your prep in order because Michael was the sort of master of turning it back on you. Um, And maybe a a bit like a politician, he would just sort of talk at you and change the rhetoric to exactly what he wanted. But then it was my duty to try and navigate him back to, yeah, well, that's all very well. You might have been fastest in lap 23, but you weren't on 24, 25. And it was just sort of like doing it with the respect, but also letting him know that, I knew what he was up to. Um, and it's, it was interesting, like, writing this because I went back through so many old interviews for each driver. And uh, the ones with Michael, I was actually really quite firm in the interview with him, much more than I ever remembered. I was kind of watching them back going, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I asked that. <laughs> uh, but, it, but it was great. And it was nice to see the rapport again because you forget things so quickly. Formula One is such a fast-moving sport in every sense that it moves on. You maybe do four, four interviews a week with these guys. Um, so you're not going to remember everything. But doing the book, it's kind of like really jogged my memory. Uh, and, and you touch on it in the book as well that he's, he, he clearly is someone who transcended the sport and we remember certain moments from his career and, and one of them that, that stood out for me and um, you know jogged my memory on it as well was the, the 1998 Spa Grand Prix in Belgium where the, 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 the famous slash infamous incident with, with David Coulthard and, and running down the pit lane towards him that must have been quite a race to cover given the, the you know it's one that we still talk about so many years later Yeah, that was probably, I was there um, on work experience. Uh, I was still at university at the time. Um, 
in fact, I was probably just, no, I think I just started university, but I was doing work experience. So that was the first one uh, that I went to um, in a sort of proper role. Uh, yeah, and I still uh, presented the Belgian Grand Prix a few weeks ago for Channel 4. And there is no uh, Belgian Grand Prix that goes past that we don't use the footage of D- DC causing absolute chaos and Michael trying to like run down and punch him because I obviously present the programme with David. So if there's ever an opportunity to show the absolute chaos that he caused, we'll always bring out that footage. It, we might move on to, to, to Lewis Hamilton because there's a, a great chapter on Lewis as well and, and the type of character he is and, and how he's changed over the years as well. Um, maybe mellowed to some degree as, as drivers tend to do it towards the end of their careers. You, you referenced, um, and there was a great thing, a quote from the book where you said, um, uh, during an interview with Lewis, he talked about when I went for my first signing for McLaren, I remember Ron Dennis looking me up and down because I had baggy jeans, didn't necessarily have the smartest of outfits on. My dad always told me, you've got to look the part. Um and that was really interesting that when he started off with McLaren, he went from this kid with, with the braids and, and dressing the way he, he dresses now, to be fair, to, to this prim and proper uh, young kid who wanted that place on the grid. Yeah, I mean, I think how he's dressing now is like completely exacerbated. Every day is like a fashion parade with the cameras just set up now for every time Lewis enters the paddock because what he wears will make global news, which is just really bizarre. You don't get that. You know, when I'm standing uh, freezing doing Champions Cup at the RDS or something, I'm not exactly waiting for a Johnny or someone to come strutting in in like some like, major fashion statement. But Formula One, you get a bit of that as well. Um, but Lewis, I think, is actually closer to the person he was when he was 17, 18, 19. Sorry, um, we just, at this stage we're just struggling with your line there, Lee. We're going get, to get you back in one second, just one second. Um, just a bit of a choppy one. Um, a bit like the, 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 the F1 paddock, trying to interview people on the... <laughs> good, good analogy. The nice segue. It's but a bit it, like um, when Bowie goes on and uh, our tennis segment's sent to go through the roof. I'm feeling <laughs> that Formula 1 might be making F1 fans out there. It's probably... I think it's the... When you see Martin Brundle before the Formula 1 races doing the, the pit lane walks and interviewing, and, and it's absolute carnage. You've got the celebrities, yeah. you've got the drivers, and you've got the teams trying to get the last minute preparations together. Uh, so there, there's that mix between the... The, the ridiculous and the celebrities trying to get their little photo ops and words in with the drivers and then these people in a multi-million dollar industry trying to get the preparations done on their on their car the last minute bits and bobs drivers listening to music or getting their last minute preparations in it's one of the great things in sport I think is is watching Martin Brundle do what he does oh, it's um, and it's so unique as well because how do you get that sort of access to be up close and not necessarily he does obviously harangue drivers every now and then but like <laughs> you know not necessarily It'd be like walking around the tunnel before a football match and just grabbing people all over the place. Yeah, but Lee, Lee does it brilliantly as well. Where you're, you're with Formula One drivers, especially. I know most top sports people have egos, um, but I think Formula One drivers particularly have a certain sense of entitlement and ego. Um, and there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. I think, I think you're allowed to when you're at the top of your game. And I mentioned it to Jerry yesterday, like I was down with. Alex Dunn, the young Formula 4 dro- driver from Clambologan Offaly. Mm-hmm. He, he gave me a few spins around Mondello Park last week and right. he's only 16 but there is a there is a cockiness to him as well that I really liked. Because mm. um, I was going down, th- down there thinking is this he's going to be a meek little 16-year-old who doesn't even have his driving licence but he's driving in Formula 4. But he had that little, there was a little edge about him. Yeah. Um, and I think when you're getting behind the wheel of a, of a very fast motor car you kind of have to have the edge about you. Um, so for, for people like Lee to, to navigate these interviews with egos like, like Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen and Massa and, and Schumacher, like there's not one of them not touched by ego. 
Um, oh, yeah. I mean, it's one of the most uh, egotistical, is that fair enough, sports, you would think. Cause, and also, it's just at that elite level. Like, I mean, when you consider the number of, even though the Premier League is like the elite of the elite, uh, it's look at the number of players, right? Yeah, like yeah. there's hundreds of them in the Premier League, <laughs> and in Formula One you have whatever. What is it? It's twelve, twenty drivers on the grid. Twenty, and like so, to, like. and you think of all the drivers just beyond that twenty who are trying to get their seat on the on on the grid as well. Not an easy thing to do, but yeah, I'd be I'd be really just. It's a job that I'd love to I'd love to get down to the paddock at some stage and uh, interview some drivers there. That's the that's the dream. That's up there with my covering space launches. Adrian is my right. Not that this isn't. I a think dream job. one is more <coughs> easily achievable than the other. I'm not going to lie to you. I don't know how you're going to get into the paddock yeah. to do some interviews. It's tough. We have uh, Lee McKenzie back on the line. Lee, we we're just talking there about um, <laughs> the madness of the of the paddock interviews and and, and like yeah. people like yourself and Martin Brundle have to do these interviews where you've got the, the the mania of of celebrities trying to get their little moments with the drivers, but then you've got, as I say, a multi million dollar industry of teams running around and drivers trying to prepare. It must be quite a uh, a manic environment and you touch on it very well in the book as well yeah I think if you use Miami as the example which was quite a famous one with Martin earlier on this year Miami we just called um, rather disparagingly the Instagram Grand Prix because it was madness you know there was like anyone who lived within a sort of 2,000 mile vicinity of Miami turned up on the grid on that day and it was just, you couldn't do your job. I mean, that's what it came down to. You just actually couldn't do your job. The drivers were getting really annoyed because they were just in some sort of media frenzy, um, celeb frenzy. And ultimately, they have a job to do literally five minutes later. They love it when we all get off the grid. They can put their visor down, sit in the car and just get to work because anything before that is, is just a distraction. And it does really amaze me um, that we get as close as we do to the drivers, literally just before they're going to, you know, sit there and, and t- tear off at like 200 kilometres an hour. I think it's just, I, I hope it lasts. I'm not sure how long it would last, it will last, but um, I really hope it does because that's something which is so different about Formula One. One of the great stories you, you also touched on in, in, in the book was the the manic nature of the 2008 Brazilian Grand Prix um, when we had that Hamilton versus Massa battle down to essentially the last corners of the of the championship title race um, when Hamilton ultimately came out on top and the local Brazilian crowd devastated no doubt that, that their man Felipe Massa didn't get over the line um, but that must have been quite interesting because even you touch in the book about you know driving through the favelas and um, reasonably dangerous neighbourhoods uh, around that, that race as well so that entire experience between getting to Brazil and, and driving through those neighbourhoods and then to have the race end and the championship end in the way it did must have been an eye-opening experience. Yeah, and that was actually my first one um, for BBC. I just wanted to go do a good job. Um, there'd been an incident on a Thursday that we'd had a gun put in through our window. Uh, so it actually turned out uh, quite a funny story but uh, I won't ruin it for people who are, are reading the book but um, yeah we had a gun put in through the window and then so everybody was already in a heightened state and um, it was David Cothar's last race um, so that was a big story in terms of the UK would Lewis Hamilton become you know get his first world title and then you just got to that Sunday where the rain was falling Brazil always had a very different aura anyway um, if you sort of believe that stadiums or places like that you can get a different feel that is certain somewhere um, and the, just how the race played out and that to me is still one of the, the sort of most chilling or a moment that sums up exactly what sport is on paper there was a winner and a loser but actually there was so so much more than that um, it was 
devastation for Felipe Massa. And it was everything that Lewis Hamilton had ever dreamed of. And the fact that Felipe thought it was his, his family thought it was his, they'd achieved that dream. And then for it to be not taken away from him, because in actual fact, he hadn't won it. He'd never won it. Um, but yeah, it, st- it will stay with me for the rest of my life. Uh, as an interviewer, Lee, um, you'd have noticed this as well, and, and we get it quite often where sports people want to talk about uh, other things and almost their face lights up when they get to touch on topics other than their chosen sport, like Brian O'Driscoll on golf maybe is a good example, yes. and even myself <laughs> on a, you know, uh, a couple of times I've met Ronnie O'Sullivan. Regardless of talking about snooker, he loves talking about athletics and running and getting out on the yeah. on, on the track or on the roads. Uh, for you, there was a great anecdote in the book as well where, where you're talking to Lewis Hamilton um, and he brings up, uh, I, w- I won't say an acting debut, but but he had a, a small, not part to play, but Ridley Scott gave him an opportunity to uh, to get on set one day. Yeah, that was surreal. I mean, I do these end of season interviews that really, you know, when you go in that nobody wants to be there because maybe the guy who's won the championship wants to be there. But you sort of sit down and you're really enthusiastic. You've done all your prep and you're like, so preseason testing, February. And they're like, February, I don't even remember last week. Um, and you go through the year. And they're quite dull, these interviews. Um, but Lewis just suddenly came out with the fact that in Hungary, he, he didn't say he lost the race because of it, but essentially he did. He'd been asked to go onto set for the Martian and sit in the chair and sort of like play the part. And when Matt Damon didn't turn up, Lewis was going to take that part for the morning and all the rest of it. And he basically burnt himself out. Um, and he was exhausted and he drove like he was exhausted. He doesn't make many mistakes as a driver. He created chaos in that race. And it was just a, a bizarre interview. And then at the end, he said to me, oh, man, I shouldn't have said that to you. That should have been in my book. And I was like, I'm not sure if it should be in anyone's book, to be honest. Um, but yeah, most drivers get up in the morning, have breakfast, uh, get to the track, headphones on, head down. Whereas Lewis actually has the capacity, maybe not on that day, but he has a capacity for so much more. In Singapore, he took his DJ suite with him and um, he was he's making his music at like, you know, one, two, three, four in the morning. Um, and admittedly, we stay on European time, but most drivers only focus on the driving, whereas Lewis has always had a lot more time for other stuff. Um, uh, finally, Lee, and, and, and look for, for other stories from other drivers, and Sebastian Vettel is one that, that I really love uh, from the book as well. Uh, such a fascinating character, but people can, can listen and, or read to uh, all the different stories with all those seven drivers in, in the book. But if you had to, to put, put your nail in the mast and pick your uh, best Formula One driver of all time, let's say, I know Juan Manuel Fangio from the 50s comes up in a lot of people's conversations, but even in a, in a recent sense, do you have a, a, a favourite? I'm sure you're asked the question quite often. Yeah, and I was actually talking about this to Sir Jackie Stewart, a three-time world champion, uh, who's a, who I've known since I was a kid. We were talking about this recently. Uh, can you compare like for like in terms of, you know, the sport has changed so much. The cars have changed even in the last 10 years. It's really difficult to know. Um, you know, Michael had his faults, a lot of people said. Um, I thought he was a, a sublime driver. I think that actually somebody who goes without a lot of recognition is Fernando Alonso because he's just a two-time world champion. But for many years, he's dragged these un- underperforming cars around tracks. He's eight points away from being a five-time world champion. And through whether it be decisions, moving teams at the wrong time, um, he could have achieved so much more. But I think actually he's a, he's an exceptional driver, Fernando. Lee, great stuff as always. Uh, pe- where can people get the book? It's Black and White Publishing. Inside F1 is the name of the book, but um, all good bookstores, is it? All good bookstores. Apparently even supermarkets. So the next time that you're um, you know, struggling to afford bread and butter and all the basics, just forget the food and go straight to the book stands. 
great stuff Lee McKenzie thanks for thanks Lee, for joining us as always thank you F1 broadcaster and uh, yeah definitely give the book a read it's a, it's a great insight into some of the Formula 1 stories over the years it's it's a fascinating sport Lewis Hamilton in The Martian seems like a pretty <laughs> coming together of like if Shane Hannan was to design a movie yeah yeah, uh, Lewis Hamilton or, or Matt Damon I don't know who, who they should have picked there but um, maybe he is a career in acting after, after he hangs up the what do you say hang up, hangs up the gloves <laughs> hangs up the wheel uh, doesn't hang up a car but um, yeah he's one of those characters that I think will, will uh, go into different things um, after, after his career is over OTBM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day here's what we've got on OTB Sports Radio for you across uh, today half past ten as always we have the uh, cra- I mean happy quiz I know big news about the crappy quiz right breaking news is it big news I can't break any news just yet okay. but there will be and it won't be broken today but there will be big news de- developing news right on that on the <coughs> crappy quiz Okay, fair enough. Stay fair tuned. enough. Stay tuned, folks. That's at uh, half past ten. No to be sports radio today. Uh, half past eleven. We have the football kickoff. Jer Colum and Damien Delaney looking ahead to the weekend's football. Uh, from one pm, it's OTB Gold with James McLean. Three o'clock, the uh, Roscommon Mount Rushmore, where we pick the uh, four greatest sports people of all time from Roscommon. Four o'clock, Team Thirty Three League of Ireland Legend interview with Tony Sheridan, and at six o'clock, it's OTB Gold with Chris Waddle. Follow OTB across all our social channels and subscribe to the OTB Podcast Network for all the best in the latest sports content. Back after these ads with Alan Quinlan in studio. OTB AM Quarter past nine It is OTB AM And uh, delighted to have you with us this morning Alan Quinlan, how are you keeping? I'm very good, lads and yourselves Flying it, you were tuned into Ronan earlier I was, yeah He's he's not coming back, I don't think Of the short story <laughs> Yeah, I suppose he's um, Yeah, deflecting on that but Life life is good clear, and, yeah. and like, you don't want there to be an arrogance About the question to be asked either Because like, why would you want to leave a club like La Rochelle Who are European champions Committing in the top 14 like one of the best clubs in the world, it'd be an arrogant suggestion to think that you know he must come back to Ireland because that's the next stage in his career. He's doing just fine at a huge club in Europe. Yeah, it's an added bonus for him that um, you know, he's a team that are progressing. They obviously won in Europe. They've been knocking on the door for the t- in the top fourteen, getting right to to, to um, challenge for that that league title for the last couple of seasons as well. So um, progressive team. He's got a few signings this year. They love him out there. So there's a lot of um, positives for, for, for him and why he wouldn't come back. Um, obviously, there's always going to be a draw at some stage. And he's always there's always going to be speculation about you know any jobs that are come up with any of the provinces, uh, vacancies with the national side. Um, you know, you think he's probably next in line, but he's probably continuously going to be asked for the next number of years. And until the point when La Rochelle start losing games and there's a bit of... Um, dismay there which doesn't look likely to happen that doesn't happen yeah I think he's done a really good job probably and uh, he has there's no doubt he's done a really good job there and you know it's um, obviously we've heard lots of coaches over the years speak about the culture in France and having incredibly talented players but maybe not the drive and desire that certain people you know would have been used to hear Mm. uh, with less talent if that makes sense yeah. and it's respectable um, so I think if you get incredibly powerful athletes who are you know really good work ethic and they look after themselves off the pitch a lot and they understand that you know if you want to challenge in Europe and if you want to challenge and win trophies that there's an added kind of impetus around you know what the way you look after yourself as well mm. that you can't just rely on that athletic ability 
Um, and I think he's probably when he was at Racing first, that was would have you know would have been a challenge at the start, and then Gan Carter comes in and. The more and more you have these conversations around that stuff, and, and players, other players see it and they start to do it. So it doesn't guarantee a success, but I think um, he's done a brilliant job. And, and you know the scenes last year after they won the European Class. Cup in in La Rochelle for the few days afterwards, where you know he's a hero there now, no matter what happens. We touched on the, the difficulties or otherwise, Quinny earlier of uh, of a monster man taking the reins in some fashion at, at Leinster and vice versa. Like, is that a should that be an issue? Like, I guess it's it's down to an individual thing. But I think Rog said I'm from Cork was his answer earlier. Is I'm from Tip? That would be your response, probably. Um, Pose the question. It, obviously, it's it's more difficult than a normal situation if you haven't played for so long for Munster. Um, we've had, of course, when I played, there was a number of players, a couple of players who went and played with Leinster, and that wasn't seen as as um, you know being a traitor or anything because some of these guys were. You know they weren't regular Stephen starters. Kyo Stephen Kyo and Trevor Hogan were two to yeah. come to mind, two great lads who weren't regular starters. So they were getting an opportunity to maybe um, enhance themselves more um, in a Leinster shirt. You know, you had Sean Cronin, who started out when I uh, when Munster and obviously went on Owen Redden. Um, they they went on to have brilliant, have brilliant success with Leinster and and then in turn with Ireland. So. Um, it's a little bit different, yeah. you know. Declan Kidney had a short spell with with um, as coach with 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 Leinster, and then came back to Munster and won a European Cup, and was kind of frowned upon by you know the, um, some people in Leinster. Um, but well, sure, I mean, it's, it'd it's, be a big move. It'd yeah. be a big move for for him to go there. Um, but you know, from a professional point of view, if you're looking at working with. Um, going into an environment that's incredibly successful and and you would imagine um, will continue to be pretty successful given the structures they have in place and the playing numbers and uh, the school systems which are very strong here um, from a professional point of view it would be a pretty attractive proposition mm. but um, I heard you saying um, this morning that uh, you could see him going to England ahead of, of Leinster, yeah. which should be... Well, we that's another, uh, uh, when we asked him about England, when he remember he was on BT last year and it all came up and <coughs> it was like, you know, Eddie Jones was under pressure and everybody was like, oh, this guy would be a great fit. He was definitely sort of, at that point, I felt that answer was more, Closer. I would actually do that at some yeah. point. More open. Yeah, I think he'd probably get less stick for taking the English job, which just sounds crazy, really, doesn't it, than if he took the Leinster job, but... Um, I don't know. Like I, I can see him. Um, his family are well settled in France. There's a nice lifestyle there. Good climate. Um, you've been in Hull, isn't La Rochelle? It's pretty nice there. Cheese and wine as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think it, it just depends. Um, but I would never close. I, there was one thing I would say about Ronan knowing him. Um, one, some you could rule him out of something, and he could just come on next week and surprise yeah, you, and yeah, take yeah, the Leinster yeah. job. You know what I mean, or something like that. So sure. he, he's he's right. I think he's pretty determined. He backs himself in whatever decisions he makes. Um, it was obviously very brave what he did. Um, yeah. You know, to head straight off after he retired because he could have stayed here and slipped into the system here for a year or two and then went. Yeah. But he just up sticks. With um with his family and went off and um you know obviously going to New Zealand as well so he makes he backs himself when he makes these decisions it isn't as if he goes and asks ten friends 
what should I do or shouldn't do? You know, yeah, he, he, yeah, he's, yeah. And he's, it's like he's look, very determined, and we're we're all we're all transfixed with the idea that he needs to come home or he'll come home at some point or other. And he obviously everything you've ever heard him say on air is like I'm absolutely fine. I'm doing I'm plowing my own furrow here, and life is good. And I think we should take that as as it I is. I think if something came up with Ireland and uh, and you know, yeah. Again, it's speculation. I yeah, think. and that it, that isn't coming know. up anytime Look, soon either. I so think we will at some stage see him back in Ireland, whether yeah. it be with one of the provinces or with the national side. Yeah, yeah. Um, couple of coaching tickets under a bit of pressure. Early doors meeting tonight in Galway, and like you know, the starts have been sticky. The new nature of the league means that, like you know, the, it's less forgiving for losing those early games than it might have been in previous years when they get further down the track. So, um, big pressure on both sides, and like a loss tonight, really for either one is going to really turn up the dial for them. Yeah, it is. Um, there's been a bit of... These games have been pretty feisty the last couple of years and um, there's been a bit of niggle in it and there's a desperation from both sides mm. and probably with both sides tonight, Adrian, I think there's a probably a lack of cohesion and a lack of confidence um, in the way they're playing and the way they're executing and that kind of feel-good factor when you go out, go out onto a sports field and you talk about having your flow and even having you know good periods in a game. Um, it was an incredibly difficult start for, for Connacht. Mm. You know, to go to Belfast at any stage is, is tricky. Even though they've had success and won up there in recent years, um, it, it doesn't give you much kind of wriggle room really when you have to go there in your first game and then you're in South Africa against the Stormers and the Bulls, um, more or less at full strength, shorn of a player or two here and there that were involved in the rugby championship with the Springboks, but a lot of a lot of strength there. And um, so in some ways, it's a little bit false on Connacht in a sense that mm. I've said this, you know, most teams would struggle to go to South Africa now. You'd need to be fully locked and loaded going to South Africa, expecting to to get a win and and um, run them close. Um, so maybe we're kind of judging Connacht falsely here a little bit. We'll know tonight. I think they will. Um, obviously, the challenge for them is you know they've only had a couple of sessions this week because you they only got back I think Sunday and I, I'm not sure if they train Monday or what their schedule was this week, but. The, probably the most they could have had this week is, is two pitch sessions on the, on the new 4G pitch. Um, but they've a kind of uh, amount of work done in the last few weeks that they can rely on. They had a, a player m- meeting on, before they departed South Africa um, trying to address some of the issues. So you've got to keep fighting. It's very early doors for both sides and both of them have issues. Um, Connacht are giving away a lot of penalties. They're the most penalised team in the competition so far. Munster aren't far behind. I think 41 penalties Connacht, um, mm. Munster 38 or something. So that tells you that you're porous, um, you're panicking, um, you're not able to deal with pressure. Um, because, you know, obviously under pressure you make those decisions to, you know, be offside or um, not have your discipline spot on. Or losing ball at breakdown. I think Munster have had a lot of turnovers at the, at the, at the breakdown. They're not easy fixes. They take some time. So, um, 
yeah, Connacht, look, they'll be chomping at the bit um, to try and get a win tonight. And for either side, if they get some sort of a... Like, I think for Munster going away to, to Galway, if they were to get a result, even... they don't. I don't think they even need the best performance. If they get a result, I think that will give them a lot oh, of... Yeah, I think, it, I think whoever ends up on the winning side tonight, suddenly, it's uh, as is the nature of these things, everything's grand and the other team are not. What? what it's results-based, isn't results it? Tonight, based, really, yeah. not performance-based. No, exactly. But speaking of performance, I'm forgetting about some of the stuff that you've mentioned there in terms of like the the uh, errors count and the you know um, the issues that are documented now. We're three games in, so it's probably not a bad chance to take a bit of a sense check as to your view of what the new coaching ticket, what style they're trying to play, or what once this starts coming together, what's going to be the personality of this monster team in terms of the style oh, of play. Oh no, I think they're definitely trying to be a little bit more expansive and keep the ball alive a little bit more, monster. Connacht do that more naturally don't they because yeah. they've been doing it for a number of years and they're a very exciting side to watch and I think that's the biggest concern you know they've conceded 15 tries they've only scored 5 in the first 3 mm. that's kind of unconnacht like mm. they usually get 3 or 4 tries a game even if they lose a game it's it's a high scoring game so they're definitely much more comfortable with their lines of running and their support playing the pace the issues Connacht have is probably um, having that bit of ferocity up front and that physical power at times um, which just seems to be the, a stumbling block that's holding them back and, and, and it's difficult um, in an ideal world you want a big strong pack and then you know loads of power there they've lots of good players I'm not saying that but just underpowered a little bit from a physical point of view but for Munster I think um, try, trying to move the ball more sounds simple mm. and it frustrates me having to watch watching the last couple of games because I don't know my mindset when I played was probably a little bit too loose around you know 20 yard passes and offloads and stuff like that and at times I had to reel myself in and I would have got into trouble with coaches in my time, particularly with Ireland, trying to be, you know, move the ball from, you know, the the ball is kicked off and you're in your own 22 and I'm trying to figure out how do you run past guys and pass here and keep it alive. The game has changed because you make mistakes in your own half too much and people kick goals and the pressure, the breakdown and all that. Um, Munster have got to get that balance right that they... And I think that's what Mike Prendergast and Dennis Leamy and Andy Kiriakou and Graham Rowntree, of course, as a group of coaches, they'll be trying to get a little bit more tempo in Munster's game, um, utilise a little bit of width, um, keeping the ball alive. And, and I always think back, you know, I played in Munster teams that were very direct mm. and Rog would have mm. kicked a lot and we mauled a lot mm. and we had one-out runners a lot and... It was intense. It was exciting. It was um, there was tempo to it because it was all done at pace and it was done with real ferocity at the breakdown. And you know, teams couldn't slow us down or stop us, even if they had a defensive line, because we were very aggressive and direct. Um, so you know, I think you still have to have a bit of the old school approach where you have to kick a lot. Um, the modern game dicta- dictates that. Mm. Um, you're coming up against technically, you know, very good people across the board and the breakdown. But I think what kind of concerned me a lot in the last couple of weeks was the some of the catch pass stuff, which you know you would think would be better. Um, but if you if you if you're not doing that stuff for long periods of time, 
Um, and it's not just the first, it, it's not really first and second phase or third phase or fourth phase. It's when you get into multi-phase, that's where Munster lose their shape a lot. Mm. And that's the biggest challenge. And that's what Mike Prendergast will be trying to do is when you get into the multi-phase stuff, where, what are you, what's your body shape like? You know, are you square to the, um, what way are your hips? Are you running across the field? Are you fixing a defender? Are you running a line that's going to hold a defender? All that kind of stuff. Um, so they've got to get better at that and I think it will take time so the word patience has been mentioned a fair bit and this is just the reality I think Munster need to you know the players themselves need to take a little bit more control around their desire and their aggression and I said this in the podcast during the week Peter O'Mahony was the one that was shown the fight mm. he was the one that was being confrontational yeah. <laughs> you know but like that's the quickest solution here. If you if you if you if you if you have mistakes and you're lacking confidence and you're dropping balls and your lines are running and things are not correct, the quickest solution to try and get some flow and momentum is not about. I'm not saying because there's obviously a lot spoke about the physicality of the game during the week and dementia and links to motor neurons, these all this kind of stuff. I'm not saying go out and start bashing people, but I'm saying. The quickest solution is to try and win those physical contests, mm. um, which is within your control. And I think that's what Munster have to do tonight. They, know, they need to go to Galway and, and try and impose themselves a little bit, mm. be confrontational, go toe-to-toe a little bit. And then, obviously, not overcomplicate what they're trying to do there, because if they think they can go there and just throw the ball around and this ball is going to be thrown on the ground again and that's going to suit... Um, it's going to take some time the attack game and people need to realise that because you're changing behaviours that have been implemented or not implemented I should say over the last number of years because it, that was a shortcoming on behalf of the coaches that were there at that time or because it wasn't part of the game plan and now they've changed things so it dictates a there's a mixture here of accountability from the players and some of them showing us I'm not saying that they're not good enough but showing us examples where it's indicating that they're not good enough they've got to play better than that they've got to be more forthright in their own assessment of their performances they've got to put their hands up and they've got to do it there's no point in going into videos and and nodding at the the attack coach or defence coach like if you're missing tackles in a game and the defence coach has shown you a system where you should be and you get to the place where he wants you to be Mm. and you missed a one-on-one tackle well you've you've got to take accountability so Getting it's the same in attack. If you're getting into good shape and you're dropping the ball, well, there's not a lot the coach can do at that particular moment. If you're not getting into the position or if you're not holding someone in defence, so the players have got to take responsibility here. And the reality is, I think, um, you know, they've ten away with the, the emerging Ireland side and um, some really young, exciting players. And you see the um, Ruan Quinn. Um, I think Patrick Campbell. Is a great prospect. A dogbo, uh, Fionn Gibbons is on the on the mm. on the bench tonight. He did really well with the twenty. So um, there will come a point, Adrian, where people will say, "We'll just play the young players." Yeah. If we're going to lose anyway, let's play the young players. At least in twelve months' time, they'll have gained the experience. So it's a kind of a critical period and moment for for some of the more senior players that they've got to. 
and that kind of really enhances tonight, doesn't it? That, oh yeah, I can't wait real, for it. And the, the, you because you, you think Connacht have Leinster coming next week. Yeah. So imagine if they lost tonight and then Leinster coming oh. to, to to Galway next week. Well, they're so, in the habit of beating them down there, particularly. But I, I, but potentially it could be five from zero from yeah, five. Yeah. And yeah. Munster have, you know, they lose tonight. That's zero from four. Well, they've one from four mm. they've got the Bulls coming they've got to go to the Aviva and then they've got Ulster mm. so you know usually this time of year you get a few fixtures that yeah. you pick up a few results and you might lose one or two but you've won three or four out of the first block both these sides are in real danger of putting themselves in a position of of forget playoffs not even making Europe yeah. so um, it's unfair pressure early, so early um, Connacht's is, their away fixtures are down to the 4G pitch and stuff like that but look it's it's a very hard game to call if you ask me who's going to win tonight it's 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 difficult I like the, the I like the the Munster pack in a sense that you know with Byrne and Klein um, it's really the first pick the back, back row, row as well, Gavin Coombs coming back as that well the first pick back row is it yeah, it, it is, I think, but, um, you know, they're still down numbers. Chris Farrell is not there. Yeah. Uh, Zebo's not there. Haley's injured. Um, Anton Frisch is away, who looked very good during yeah. the week against the Pumas. So um, it'll be really interesting to see Hawkshaw um, playing yeah. at 12 tonight for Connacht. He's a very good footballer. Jack Carty, obviously, back for Connacht is a big, big boost for them. Big boost. It sounds like everything you've said so far is leading to Connacht are going to win it. Well... They'll believe they can win it. I think and that 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 helps. I played against Connacht a long, a, a many times in my career, and I always felt that they never believed they could beat us. Mm. It was a case of, but that's changed. You know, the culture has changed there, and they've they've, you know, players who really believe they can. And Munster, even though uh, they're not the Munster of old, are still a big scalp for everyone. We saw the reaction in the Dragons a few weeks, so. You can imagine if Connacht get the results, which they did last January, which was a big kind of talking point in Munster season, um, and Johan van Graan's reign, um, where you know Munster passed the ball forty-five times in the game, they mm. were beaten ten-eight. They should have been beaten by a lot more. Um, you can imagine if Connacht, the crowd are going to be buzzing for that tonight. Mm. Um, so there's a lot to play for both sides. Munster can kind of kickstart their season, and Connacht can obviously as well. Yeah. Can I just briefly ask you, uh, Quinny, just on the spectacle itself before we wrap up? Um, like Manny Friend pointed this out during the week, talking about the water breaks, and I think one of Munster's halves against Zebra last week there was actually 50 55 or 55 minutes. Six minutes, yeah, like, first half. Like I'm not saying it's an identity crisis for rugby, but this is a this is an interest levels thing where people are just going to drop off and not watch games because they're going on for far too long. Like, will it get to a crisis point where we need to actually look at? Well, the water breaks is one simple fix, but. There's a deeper thing here where water it's, breaks it, need to go. There's enough of stoppages to throw in a water bottle here and there, when, yeah. and you know there's going to be a, a, an injury or two in it per half where somebody's down for a minute. That you know these the guys are running with messages. These water breaks have to go. I think. Um, although sometimes if I was out in the field, you'd feel like you'd love <laughs> you'd love about five minutes to gulp it down. <laughs> the TMO stuff is again, it's it's really poor. Niall Scannell's try last week wasn't a try for me. They gave over two and a half minutes, three minutes, mm. looking over and back, over and back, over and back. Um, when the viewers or you know the people looking at the screen at the stadium could see. You like, can't really do the football thing of let the play continue and then come back to it, can you? Because it's attritional and. No, like for a try scoring thing there you have to I think with the foul play and, and 
potential foul play and stuff obviously the play goes on and yeah. a TMO check comes in but it shouldn't be going back seven or eight phases no, to I think it, it, there, it, is, it, is, it is an issue and I, I agree with Andy Friend on a point that you know Connacht are a team that really want to play with flow and tempo yeah. because they've that's their game um, you know they want to keep going keep going and keep going and wear teams down and get into multi-phase and get into 10, 12, 15 phases because um they they have that ambition and he's programmed them to play like that. Mm. Um, I think the day that we see Munster kind of get into that level would be great. Um, but there's a lot of work. It takes time. It takes a lot of time. And who knows? Munster might surprise uh, people tonight and really you know get a really good mm. performance. Um, who knows? I think they need one. Mm. Um, and there's a fair bit of pressure there for, for both sides yeah. obviously we spoke about so it should be a cracker yeah really looking forward to it uh, that game is 7.35 tonight obviously in Galway you can watch it on TG Car and then you have uh, Leinster against the Sharks tomorrow at 5 past 5 and uh, you have Ulster at home against the Ospreys in Belfast uh, later on that evening as well so that's your rugby for the weekend look forward to catching up with you next week Quinny thanks a million cheers thanks fair play it is 9.37 that is pretty much it from OTB AM this morning Shane good luck this evening Cheers, Aaron. I'll be quite yeah. not what you're doing down there yet, He's but a uh, fan as well. I forgot to put him up on yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, you give me fellow Tommy from grief. Tommy Bow Country, and he's a Connacht fan. I'm a Tommy Bow fan and a Connacht fan. Yeah, can't be both. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. It, it, I'm not. I'm not alone. We, we had a Calvin commenter coming in this morning, backing me up. So that is definitely a conversation we'll be coming back to again down yeah. the track. Uh, thanks, million, for joining us over the course of the morning, and good luck to you this evening, Shane. And enjoy your weekend. I'm sure Saturday's OTV is going to be an absolute belter. It's going to be fun. Tune in for the news round one o'clock tomorrow. <laughs> uh, right, that is almost it from uh, us for today. We're brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. We're back on Monday morning. It'll be Jared Nathan, uh, Andy Mitten will be in hand as well to react to United's uh, oddly times Sunday night encounter at Everton uh, Alan himself uh, you'll be back with us to review the weekend's URC action and Nathan will be along to deliver his as ever faultless brilliant no doubt uh, Gillette Labs performance rankings and much more as well besides and by the way we had a few uh, commenters in earlier on asking about the Krabby quiz it will be I believe uh, he says with a deep sigh coming your way in about an hour's time or thereabouts so 10.30am uh, stay tuned for that it'll be absolute cracker OTB With Gillette, get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.